On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are finally reunited with Robin Ellicott and Cormoran Strike in the BBC's Strike Lethal White. We're dealing with Billy Piper's sexy selfies and Sky's I Hate Susie and re-entering the world of seedy superheroes with Homelander, The Deep, Black Noir, A-Train and the gang in the long-awaited return of Amazon's The Boys. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the 100th episode of the Pilot TV podcast, a show that has helped you navigate the fathomless waters of peak TV now over the course of a full century of shows. Uh, Over the past two years, we've brought your attention to all manner of hidden gems squirreled away amongst the almost countless shows that now adorn our airwaves. And rest assured, there are many more to come. And joining me on this auspicious anniversary are my co-hosts for the show. First up, our Dalai Lama of the small screen, a man for whom no show, no matter how obscure, goes unwatched. It's Mr. Boyd Hilton. How are you, Boyd? I'm very well, thanks. Very excited about this uh, 100th episode and the special treats that we have in store. Did, in did you think you'd make guest. 100 episodes? Do you think you'd be able to put up with me for 100 episodes? <laughs> no, I mean, just purely for the bell end factor alone, I thought, you know, how can, how can, uh, how's this going to work? But well, somehow well done, we made Boyd. it. Yeah. It speaks well of you as a person. Thank you. Thank you. Um, also with us, having last week usurped my position on both the podcast and the pilot TV rock band, is Swindon's Reckoning, Miss Beth Webb. How are you, Beth? I'm good, James. I'm good. I was listening back to that episode recently and um, I sound so nervous playing that guitar. I don't know how ab- you do it. <laughs> abundantly clear to me how little you wanted to do it and how much Terry forced you into it. So well done for doing that. I'm never going to uh, say no to that woman. So a lot better than I was. Now, of course, we mentioned Terry there. Now, despite this being our very special 100th episode, Terry White could not be with us this week, which I know will come as a bit of a blow to many of you. But fear not, fear not, because I have a very special replacement for our beloved co-host. Because who better to fill the void left by Terry White on the Pilot TV podcast than someone with whom she shares so much in common? I refer, of course, to the Lord of Hell, the Father of Lies, the Devil himself, Mr. Lucifer Morningstar, or rather, his representative here on Earth, Mr. Tom Ellis. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thanks, James. Thanks for having me. I feel very lucky to be here, just like Boyd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've not had to put up with me for 100 episodes, but this it may feels, be enough. It feels in less of a sentence than it does to Boyd, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're back in England. You've come out of lockdown. How's it all been for you? Oh, it's been crazy, actually. We were, we were about six days away from finishing Lucifer Season 5 when we got locked down. So I was then stranded in the States for a long time. I didn't see my children for a long time, but wow. finally got back over here. And uh, it's been lovely to see everyone. And I've got to go back again in about a week or so and start again. I was going to say, have you finished? Like, cause Season 5 drops, I think, today as we record on Netflix, doesn't it? Season 5 Part 1 drops today, which ah. is the, fir- the first eight episodes. And then the, the second eight episodes... We, uh, we, I'm not sure when they're going to drop because we've still got, like I say, the finale. We were about halfway through it. So we go back, we start with that, and then we go straight into season six. So uh-huh. hopefully that'll be ready to go, I would imagine, sort of Christmas time or early next year. And have they told you how it's going to work? Like, What are the new sort of like quarantine shooting procedures? Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to take a lot longer to film than it used to. <laughs> um, we've got, I have to get tested about three times a week. Um, obviously, it's like being a porn star. Exactly, it's like being a porn star. <laughs> <laughs> Takes me back. Um, <laughs> and then uh, we've got, you know, there's different pods of people that can be in contact with each other on a set. So 
Whereas before, for example, you get your hair and makeup done and they come down to set with you. Someone does your hair and makeup in the trailer. They stay in their trailer all day. You go down to set. Someone else takes over there. Uh, and you have to have your lunch in certain areas. And all, it's, it's, it's going to be a finagle, but it'll, be, um, it'll just be nice to get back, I think. Yeah, I'm sure. Like one of the things I got from from watching Lucifer is it seems like one of those shows, and I'm sure it's not the only one, but it seems like it's a lot of fun to make. You know I mean, you all seem to be having a lot of fun, and I think that kind of really shows on the screen. Yeah, we do. I'm not going to lie, we do have a lot of fun. I mean, it's such a it is a really silly show. Um, with <laughs> in a the lot best of, way, <laughs> in the best possible way. I mean, much like Miranda, actually, weirdly, it's a silly show, but it's full of heart, and and that those two sort of things combined means that we take our our audience on a bit of a a fun journey, and then without them really realizing they're very invested in the characters and you pull the rug out from under their feet and they're all crying which is lovely <laughs> is it different now you're making it for netflix than when you made it for fox is it mm. is, is the production process and the is the level of fun different even do you have slightly th- more freedom now than you had we definitely have more freedom i mean it was weird because we'd sort of because the show was already established for three seasons on fox we didn't want to like ostracize our already, you know, our viewers that we already had. So um, we didn't want to change it too much, even though we had less boundaries to work with him. Mm. Um, and I think part, weirdly part of the reason the show worked was that it didn't always go all the way there. It never was vulgar. Um, it just kind of like was suggestive. And um, we've tried to sort of keep that charm about it because I think that's why we've got such an eclectic audience as well, like age, age-wise. We, you know, we've got kids right through to grandparents that watch the show. So we, uh, we had to be mindful of that. But, yeah, I think there's, there's definitely more nudity, put it that <laughs> yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. Mainly involving my, your bottom. A lot more of my backside. My yeah. backside, yeah, seems to have made quite an appearance on Netflix. It, it, yeah, it's become, a, it's become a cult phenomenon, your, back, your bum, hasn't it, really? It's yeah. got its own Twitter site. It's amazing, yeah. Yeah, of course, yeah. Did you, do you have to do special things to get it looking like that? Like, do you have, you know, do you have a special, do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you mean like Joey? You mean Joey yeah. in the shower? Yeah, Joey in the shower, yeah. Exactly. You might, you're, you're laughing, right? But there was a scene where I was laying face down butt naked and <laughs> I was like shouting out to the director as the camera was rolling. How does that look? And he was like, tighten a bit, tighten a bit. Wow. Wow. So they don't offer you a, a sort of stunt butt double. Exactly. Well, yeah, that's it. I, I think it would be quite humiliating to have a stunt butt double. So I want to do all my own butt work, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a noble goal. A noble goal. I do all of mine. So, you know, it's, it's fair. You also do, do all your own singing as well, though, don't you? Because you sing. I do. That that is because the the voice is incredible. I have to say, your your Thank version you, of Radiohead's Creep, which was in season four, right? Yeah, it was yeah. the opening of four. Uh, that yeah. was fantastic. Mm. Um, Thanks, mate. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I I I um I used to sing a lot when I was a kid. Um, I, we, and ironically, I grew up in the church, and that's where I learned to sing. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> And then when you train to be an actor in this country, you sort of have to make a very distinctive difference between musical theatre and dramatic acting. And I chose dramatic acting and sort of left my singing to one side for a long time. And then Lucifer, weirdly, has brought it back into my life and I've really enjoyed it. And actually, I think, I've just been told that they are releasing a soundtrack of seasons one to five today. Uh, Amazing. Yes. Wow. And this will have the vocals on it. You have the vocals on it, yeah, yeah. And, it, and I think there's some songs from, because uh, the second half of season five, we do a musical episode this year. Yes, yes, I read about that. Which was quite possibly the most amount of fun I've ever had doing anything. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that, that is episode two of the second half of the season. I, I think it's my favourite episode we've ever done. And wow. I mean, you're obviously a great singer. Was the rest of the cast as enthusiastic or were they a little bit nervous about it? <laughs> It's funny what singing does to people. Some yeah. people are like, yay, and some people are like, oh, my God, I'd rather kill myself. Um, and um, it's quite exposing for some people. I, yeah, no, the, I'd say the majority of the cast were up for it. There was a few people who's just not their comfort zone at all. But um, I got to sing 
a, a duet with Dennis Haysbert, so I was delighted. Amazing. <laughs> wow. Dennis Haysbert, yeah. of course, plays God in this season. He does. He comes in at the very end of this, this run of episodes, and then, again, the second half of season five is, is very Dennis-centric, and I, he was such an amazing addition. That's amazing. And yeah. we, we talked about uh, musical episode shows actually a couple of weeks ago. We were running down oh. the best ones. I mean, what, what's the, where's the bar for you in terms of musical episodes? Well, I think the one that was always referenced when we were shooting was Buffy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a, we have a lot of Buffy fans in our writer's room because I think tonally our show sort of is headed in that direction. Um, and uh, so that, that was the one. But I, I said to them, I'd love to do a musical episode, but I want it not just to be a gimmick. Mm. I don't just want to do a musical episode for the sake of it. I want our characters to have a reason to be singing. And um, and we found it. And so that that's why I'm so excited about it, because it, it, it works as a piece of storytelling as well. Which is how all the best ones work. Because that, exactly. that particular one of Buffy does a lot of narrative heavy lifting as well, which yes. is why I think it works so well. Yeah. But there's a noir episode this season as well, there isn't is. there? Yeah, that's dropped today. That's episode four. Again, that was just... <laughs> I mean, when they initially pitched it to me, I, I just thought it was going to be a black and white episode of Lucifer. So we would just film with the colour turned off. Yeah. But... Um, <laughs> It was much more with stylistically the, the director that we had and the director of photography we had really, really wanted to shoot it like a noir film. So when you look at it, the lighting is incredible. The way in which we shoot our scenes is very different with a sort of locked off camera from a distance kind of thing. Um, but it felt much more like doing a play, actually. Um, but it was great fun because apart from myself, the rest of the characters all got to play different people. So it was a bit like <laughs> The Wizard of Oz when your established characters all of a sudden turn up as other people. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, that was great. I'm really excited about that one. Isn't there also an episode this season about the showrunner of um, a show? Yes. Basically of your show. Diablo. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. I'm excited about Weirdly. this. And it, it's so funny doing this because, James, you look so much like Joe Henderson, who's one half of our show running team. <laughs> and it was loosely based on Joe. But, yeah, there is an episode where Lucifer and Chloe um, have to investigate a murder of a showrunner. Um, and Lucifer twigs, oh, I, I did the, a favour for this guy a few years ago, and I told him a lot about my life. I, I wonder what he's been up to. <laughs> and then he's cut to this billboard about a show called Diablo. And it's like, great. it's a really low-rent version of the show Lucifer. But it, uh, it was, that was ridiculous. <laughs> I love this kind of way it's going, though. That, that yeah. is so brilliant that you kind of can do these really daring... Well, I, uh, Again, I think like the Netflix side of it is that we, we've always sort of wanted to do things and there was always a bit of pushback on the extremities that we mm. can go to. But um, it's been the opposite with, with Netflix. They've been like, yep, yeah, go on. Okay, off you go. <laughs> they've, just, they've just been like very supportive parents from afar. Yeah, that's amazing. Because <laughs> also originally, the, the, the final season that you're about, that originally this was going to be the final season, wasn't it? And then now it you're was. making a whole mm. other... I spent the entirety of season five believing <laughs> that that was the final season of Lucifer. And so... It was strange because I I'd said to everybody at the start of filming this season that I don't really want to talk about the end because it's a lot and it's been a huge part of my life and you know um, I just want to sort of enjoy being here and being in the moment um, and subsequently you know I ended up playing another character this season as well I played Lucifer's twin brother so I was kind of flat out filming non-stop and enjoying it on a day-to-day -day basis and then with about a month to go Netflix <laughs> said how do you feel about doing another season. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> at which point I felt like a marathon runner who'd just seen the finish line going, yeah, what? You've moved it another four miles up the road. <laughs> but, um, but no, I think, I think it's obviously very fitting that season six will be the final season of Lucifer. But, um, yeah, 66 episodes, presumably, in that season. Yeah. Uh, no, there's only 10 episodes, <laughs> thankfully. But um, it takes us up to about sort of the 90-something episode mark that we would have done. Yeah. And that's just a crazy amount of TV. So been a been a been a very... Um, very uh what's the word humbling experience and just mm. i've just been 
I'm like, I'm, I'm like a kid when I go to work. I just can't believe it's still happening. So, um, yeah, it's been a great period of my life. That's the dream, isn't it, though? It's, it's a dream to get that job that you look forward to going to every evening. You know, oh, that's... God. I, I remember shooting the pilot of it, and we'd, sh- we'd close down um, Hollywood Boulevard, mm. li- literally right where the Oscars is, where they have the red carpet of the yeah. Oscars, that section. And we had it for five nights in a row, locked off. And I just was like, and then sitting in this Corvette in this lovely suit, <laughs> just like the cameras were rolling. I'm looking around just going, is this actually happening? I can't believe this. But um, there's been a lot of pinch me moments, definitely. So is making a, a, as was, you know, in the first three series, the network show, American show, third, season three had 26 episodes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is extraordinary. Even by American standards, that's a fuck, fuck of a lot of episodes, isn't it? <laughs> it's a hell was, of a lot, yeah. Was that, but was, were you kind of, were you, was that particularly grueling or challenging or did you, did you, was it even enjoyable then or was that kind of quite? It, it I mean, there, yeah, I mean, it, there is a point of it where exhaustion sort of gets the better of you. Um, but, when we were like doing those length of runs, uh, our showrunners were great because they knew how exhausting it was. And part of their writing is about preserving the actors as well. So there would be, you know, I'd have like three or four very intense episodes and then they'd write me very lightly for an episode. Um, So that kind of helped space that out. But now we're on Netflix and it's been trimmed right down. So 10 episodes in season four means that there just is no, there's no uh, fat on it. It's just a very lean piece of storytelling. And so that meant that I was kind of there all the time from start to finish and subsequently with season five as well. So season five, I think, was probably the most exhausting season. Wow, good stuff. Um, now, I would say that we would normally uh, we normally kick off the show with kind of what mm. we've been watching over the last week. The one thing that I will say is the thing that I have been watching is a shit ton of Lucifer. So, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so this actually works out quite well. So uh, just to contextualise slightly, so I don't generally watch procedurals. I'm more of a serialised thing. I like the ongoing story things. However... There is something about Lucifer that is, whether you love the procedural format or not, there's enough sort of mythology and sort of character development that carries over that makes mm. it kind of span the divide between the two. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not yeah. it's not like CSI, where it's almost like the Seinfeld of crime shows, where it's like yeah. no hugging, no growth. You know, everything changes from episode to episode. Yeah, which is what I loved about it. I think, you know, it's a very difficult show to sum up in a media-friendly soundbite, because <laughs> when someone says it's a procedural show, you go, it is? But weirdly, like, we're all at work going no one cares about the cases um, <laughs> because there are there, there yeah. are kind of a device for us to tell tell the greater story which is the serialization of our characters 100%. within that and so yeah i mean the the, the week-to-week procedural stuff it, it does keep the show moving along but um it's not what the show is about yeah, no, one hundred percent, and I got yeah. that because I, I thought, oh, I'm like, Tom's coming on. I've got to watch a few episodes. Watch, a few. I'm halfway through season two. It's been four days. That's all I'm oh, saying. So fantastic. I've watched quite a lot of this stuff. Patricia um, Helfer season. Oh, very much so. And I have well, to say, I have to say, and I'm sure we'll get onto this a bit later. The fact that you were playing all along the Watchtower at the beginning of that episode was quite inspired. Yeah. Whose idea was that? Where did that come from? That was um, that was Joe Henderson again, and I think actually that was. That was a pure coincidence. That no, wasn't, it wasn't. It was surely only po- not. It was only pointed out after the fact that um, that that's why that was happening. <laughs> so it was wow. a very a very happy accident. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I had, I believe, what's called a nerdgasm when that happened. It was very, very exciting. <laughs> uh, but yeah, great to see Trisha in there. And you're you're a Battlestar fan yourself, aren't you? So I am. It's actually on my top five shows. Oh, oh good. Ooh. Can't wait to get onto that part of the show. Spoiler alert. All right, all right. Well, let's let's. I have been watching. Obviously, as I say, I've been watching Lisa for the last week. But what has everyone else been watching? Tom, as our guest, would you like to go first? What has been your on your I, watch list? I don't know if I want to admit this, but me and my daughter are a bit addicted to selling sunset. 
Oh, admit it. Be proud. Oh, is that is that all right, boys? Love okay, it. absolutely love it. Yeah, obsessed. It is. I yeah. I mean, my wife does love um, reality shows just as, as a bit of escapism because she's a writer and she, you know, it's just mindless stuff. Um, and I've always been like, why are you watching The Housewives of such and such? Because <laughs> she watches all of those. Um, but Selling Sunset for some reason has been weirdly addictive, and I don't know why. And um, my eight, my eight year old daughter Marnie is also obsessed with it. <laughs> It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, it I, really I, is. I'm imagining you live in one of those houses. Do you? Do you are you going to bid for the 75 million one? On uh... I'm waiting. I'm waiting for it to, for the price drop. Yeah, uh, you know, price is never yeah. going to drop, Tom. It's never going to drop. Well, Jason thinks it's very overpriced. Yeah, Jason's right, isn't he? Let's face it. Yeah, <laughs> Jason's always right. Jason's always right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I guess it's, God, it's I love strangely it. addictive. And Christine is the new person we love to hate in my household. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Her, her wedding was um, was very fitting. The wedding extraordinary. James, of course, has no idea what we're talking about because he refuses to watch anything that has a reality element to it. Anything understandable? Re- anything real? He, he won't. He won't. He won't deal with it. Or, or, <laughs> or even comedic, really. So, yeah, yeah, he's missing out. I love. I love selling sunset as well, though. It's, have, it you is, fin- d- have you finished the, the third well, season? Yeah, we finished oh, okay. it uh, two nights ago. Oh. Do you have a feeling of emptiness? I do have a feeling of emptiness. Yes, My daughter looked at me, and we were, it was after Christine's wedding. She went, "Is that it?" And I went, "Uh huh." And she went, "No." Yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, it is. Um, yeah, I feel like they. I, I do feel like when I go back to LA, I want to go to that realtors and just pop in. Yes, yes, <laughs> totally. Yeah, um, I want to see you in see season happens. four. I'm going for it. Season four, I'll go be buying it. the smallest house on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, <laughs> but that uh, that is kind of all I've I, I I I've been away from my wife and we watch stuff together, so I've not been allowed to watch too much stuff. So I've been watching that and then um, just hanging out with my kids really. So Selling Sunset is my weekly TV viewing this week. Wow, yeah. Boyd, have you also been watching Selling Sunset? Uh, well, I finished Selling Sunset. Yeah, oh, sorry. Um, last week, <laughs> of course, I, I I've been watching. It. Yeah, I absolutely love it. In fact, I'm this, I'm so sad that I went back and watched some of season one because my feeling of emptiness, yeah, was so vast. That I had to go back because you forget. I forgot some things that happened in season one. I just I just love looking at the the kind of property porn element of yeah. it. You know, the as property much as porn. The, I love property porn anyway, yeah. and so yeah. that's just it's just like a sort of three dimensional version of it with, with with kind of crazy exactly. characters in it. Exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, I love the fact that you love that. Yeah. Um, I imagine your lifestyle in LA. I mean, my fantasy is you live in one of those houses. You hang out with Robbie Williams and Vinnie Jones, and you know all the expats. <laughs> you know, this, and if you, if this isn't true, then I don't even want to know. But you know, that, that's let's just say. Um, um, it couldn't be further from the truth, but no, I love okay. the fact that that's what you think. Although yeah. I have started playing golf at the place that Vinny plays at, and oh, so amazing. we've got some mutual friends there. Nice, um, but yes, you don't uh, play football with like James Corden and. Um, I haven't. No, no. I talk, oh, okay. the only time I've seen James there was I went on his show when we were promoting season yeah. one of Lucifer. Um, but he's a very busy man these days, so he I don't is. know. If, I don't yeah. know how much football he's playing. That's okay. Fair enough. <laughs> um, anyway, I've been watching something really. I'm watching something quite bleak. And um, which is a show, it's a true crime documentary series called Outcry. And it is about a, a high school American footballer who was accused of abusing a, uh, a young boy um, a few years ago. And um, he was absolutely adamant that he was, it was a case of mistaken identity. He didn't do it. And um, a huge campaign developed, a huge kind of group developed supporting him in his claim that he was wrongfully accused, he ended up in prison. And that's all I'm going to say about it because it's it's a five part five hour s- series. It's, I think it's one of the best um, crime documentaries I've seen in a long, long time. I think it's up there with Making a Murder. You know that kind Oof. of inc- yeah. The storytelling is incredible, and the the director of this film came on board once. 
the main guy had been convicted and was in prison, but from then on, he's filming it kind of almost as the story develops. So I would... If if you can avoid googling the story, because okay. the more the less you know about the, what happened, the more interesting and fascinating the story is. But as a look at the American criminal justice system, uh, to lo- a look at police and how they can, um, you know, completely abuse um, natural justice is extraordinary, and it's just an incredible series. So yeah, outcry on Sky Crime. You can I think it's all available. Uh, of course, I did watch an episode of Buffy, which last week, um, <laughs> last week I was set the task by our leader Terry of watching an episode um, because I because Tom I had to, I revealed that I'd never really watched I've watched a few episodes of Buffy, but mm. because because it it started when I wasn't really watching much TV because I was at college in America, so I never really watched it properly. So. People were outraged that I'd never really watched a movie, so I was set the task of watching an episode for homework. And I watched this episode, um, which was called Becoming. It was the season two finale. I have to say, it was a two-part. It was like an hour and a half of my time added on to everything else that I was watching. Although I also watched a lot of episodes of Lucifer as well this week. Um, but, so, anyway, quick, quickly... I really enjoyed it, the episode of Buffy, um, but I haven't I have to say it hasn't like changed my life or anything. Like it, it and it is quite dated. Like it's very nineties. Mm. Yeah, it's the whole kind of look and feel of it, and the kind of pace of it. Everything is so dated that like that is a, a little bit of a barrier. But I will mm. persevere, and I, I could definitely see the wit and the invention and the and the characterization, etc. It's definitely a, a really good show, but it didn't quite drive me to thinking I'm going to spend the rest of my time watching this show. God, your secret shame revealed. I am shocked that in 100 episodes, this literally came out in episode 99. Like, how did I know. we not I just kept know quiet. this about you? I kept quiet about my Buffy, my lack of Buffy. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's extraordinary. I know what you mean, though. It does look like, suddenly it's not up to the sort of production values in terms of, the, you know, yeah. when you're looking at it, it looks very much like a 90s show. It also, does. when you see it in widescreen, it hasn't been adapted at all well. Uh, it was pre-revolution, wasn't it? It was pre-TV yeah, yeah, revolution. Yeah. It was just before the sort of HBO soprano kind of Mm. era when tv really sort of went on on the incline in terms of production value yeah but that's almost why it stands out so much you know what i mean because it really is incredible for this the way it's written and the themes that it tackles is is amazing it's a it's a it's a genuinely great show but yeah there's a lot of controversy about the uh the formatting because i believe the uh the studio just literally just ripped off the top and bottom of the screen to make it 16.9 and Uh, that obviously is not an ideal way to do it so it's one way Uh, to get a haircut isn't it well yeah exactly (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> right uh boyd the vampire slayer thank you very much for that uh beth beth what have you been watching over the last week so this week i uh, finished mrs america for the some of the most extraordinary telly i've seen i think this year um so just watched the last few episodes of that and then i am still in my buffy uh rewatch so um just come up riley's gone thank god oh, uh, riley's and we're the now- worst <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the, the god awful worst. Um, so so back on and we're at peak spike now. So we're in about season five. Um, we've got like peak uh, spike and dawn going on at the moment. I'd like to see that spin off. I think rather than a than an angel spin off. Yeah, boy, yeah. you need to power through and get to that bit. That's when it gets really good. Okay. It would normally be time now for our listener question. Although this week, as it is a special episode, we are going to do something slightly different. And instead, instead of tackling a question, we're going to put our reputations on the line. So I'm going to ask each one of us to name and justify our top five favourite TV shows of all time. It's time to pick a side, essentially. Now, 
Who wants to go first on this? Tom, I won't put you on the line first. You can give okay. me time to warm up. So, boys, okay. do you want to? What monstrosities have you got coming up here? <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, mate. Well, I mean, this is fucking difficult, isn't it? Um, yeah. But what I've gone for, I've got, so my criteria is, James said when he set this task, he said, you've got to show you're working out. So let me establish, my criteria is my favourite shows that I would go back and watch repeatedly and find new stuff in and enjoy that that process of watching them again and again and again so there's certain things so i've completely avoided slightly to my own surprise the kind of classics the the wire the sopranos breaking bad you know i would mm. say those are like aren't, they feel like the three you know the kind mm. of triple yeah. whammy of all-time legendary american dramas which are all absolutely brilliant by the way and i love them all um but i have not put any of those in my top five controversially and i've slightly surprised myself and i think the reason for that is you know what i'd rather go back and watch these shows that i have picked repeatedly than even the sopranos which as you know was definitely like started a whole era yeah. of incredible <clears throat> cinematic tv so that's my that's my kind of explanation anyway um i've gone for um so i've gone for curb your enthusiasm I've, and i also went back and watched a little bit of all of these to double check that the, de these are definitely my favorites so i watched a few they're showing believe it or not sky is showing curb at the moment series one at about seven in the evening on, um, <laughs> on which is so weird what, yeah. uncensored no un uncensored wow. so Where they do it they uh, they're allowed to do it so apparently the non you know the non-traditional terrestrial broadcasters only broadcast swearing and stuff after nine o'clock the watershed mm. but apparently the others the streaming services and sky can do what the hell they want as long as they warn you in advance so there's a warning that there, <laughs> it contains extreme language and then at seven o'clock in the evening you can watch larry david wow, dropping, and the, dropping the c word um, yeah dropping the c word it's quite incredible so um and I've picked Curb over Seinfeld. So Seinfeld hasn't made it into my top five. And Ooh. Seinfeld is probably, you know, is definitely always been one of my favorites. But I thought I can't have both. I can't have the show that Larry David created and Larry David's own mm. show. So I've gone for Curb mainly on the basis that every single episode of Curb I've I've loved. Whereas Seinfeld, almost the first three seasons aren't great. But certainly the first two, it starts getting good in season three and then gets incredible season four, five, etc. So on that basis, I've gone for Curb over Seinfeld. I thought I couldn't have both. I've gone for um, Doctor Who because, which I, you were in an episode of Doctor Who, weren't you, Tom? I was back in the day. Yes. Yeah. Uh, David Tennant. David Tennant. Yeah. 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 Purely because it's been like, I, I'm a proper, you know, I've watched every single episode from when I can remember when I was a kid, starting with John Pertwee, the John Pertwee years when I grew up, watched them all. And, and I, I just think it's, it is the best premise for a TV show in history. Um, Stephen Moffat always says this. It's just you cannot beat this idea of this guy going through space and time in his TARDIS. He can go anywhere he wants. Yeah. Anything can happen. The, the, the creativity that that has inspired over the years. I think it's unbeatable. And I just feel more excited about everything when Doctor Who is on than when it isn't. Like, you know, when Doctor <laughs> Who is on, about to arrive each week, I am in a state of high excitement that I'm not in for hardly any other recurring show that's been on for 50 years. So mm -hmm. Doctor Who I had to put in there. Um, I've gone for The Leftovers. Good uh, choice. So The Leftovers is my 
kind of that's the one that for me that's gone in there above the wire the sopranos and breaking bad I, and i watched back the first few episodes of the leftovers i watched back season two episode one do you remember season two episode one for people who don't know the leftovers is this mm. adaptation of tom perotta's novel yeah it starts with a, a cave woman giving birth and then dying because she gets stung by a snake which has nothing to do with anything else going on in the whole <laughs> premise which is about setting the in a world where two percent of the world's population dies disappears mysteriously um and it has particular resonance i have to say for this for the, for the for the period we're in in the covid-19 period because it is it's kind of looking at what effect does a global death rate have on human beings and on their psychology and it's got everything it's dealing with cult religion you know in the week when donald trump embrace the QAnon conspiracy theorists who support mm-hmm. him because they think he's saving the world from um, cannibalistic <laughs> paedophiles. That, you know, it's, it's incredibly um, foreshadowing what is going on in the world. It mm. touches on all of, all of the great issues of the world, I think. And I think it's more big, bold and ambitious than those other shows for me. Like, you know, those shows that I mentioned that I absolutely love. So The Leftovers is absolutely incredible. All three seasons. And again, every single episode has something absolutely brilliant about it. And some are masterpieces, I think. And I also think it has a great ending. Um, is that three? Then, I'm, then I've got... Um, <laughs> then I've got Sherlock. I Ooh. fucking love Sherlock. You I'm do sorry. love Sherlock, don't you? I really love. You remember? I love. I, I absolutely love it. And I don't. And I. It's almost feel bad. Even even the even the series season four that some people think you know went too far, went over the top, was a bit indulgent. I still love it. Loved it. It's it's so entertaining and mm-hmm. brilliantly directed and scripted. And it's it's another. And again, I think Stephen Moffat is underrated as an incredible writer of our time his his ambition and what he does with storytelling and the pacing of it and the ambition of it i absolutely love it so again i went back just double check is it really that good yes it's unbelievable (laughs) it's so brilliant i absolutely love it so i'm putting that in there and finally um i've gone for the oa inevitably which is my favorite um you know quite recent but Again, it's touching upon huge, big questions. You know, it's talking about what is the nature of the universe. Unbelievable filmmaking all the way through um, from um, Britt Marling and Zalbert Manage. And it's just, uh, I've never seen anything like it. And I remember, you know, it's a, it's a show, the OA is a show that gives you chills every single time mm. you rewatch it. So I rewatched it again, episode one, the 70th minute when the titles arrive, all of that. And I had one of the greatest days of my life on set, which I bang on about on this podcast <laughs> and in life. Did you get um, to meet Brit? Yeah, I got to meet Brit, one of the greatest really human lovely. beings. Yeah, yeah she's, she's really unbelievable. Great. Yeah, she's, she's so, so clever. Nice. Yeah, incredibly <laughs> clever. Yeah. Um, so the OA's in there as well, yeah. And um, it might even be number one. I haven't kind of ordered them, but that's my top five. I absolutely love them so much. Great I have choices. To bubbling Under, The Singing Detective, um, This Life, Twin Peaks, <gasps> Seinfeld. Those were Bubbling Unders. This I life. nearly, nearly did The Singing Detective because I thought I've got to do an old classic. The Singing Detective had an incredible impact on me like when I w- first watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, Dennis Potter's. Um, incredible show, but I couldn't quite fit it in. I couldn't. I don't think I would go back and rewatch that regularly. Whereas all these other shows, I'd happily rewatch them every six months. Wow! wow. I cannot argue with any of those That's boys. A great That's list. Excellent Thanks. choices. Thanks, man. Excellent Thanks. choices. So no pressure, Tom. No pressure at all. Oh God, I feel loads of Selling pressure. Selling sunset, now. obviously at number one. But, but sunset what else have you got? That's <laughs> a given. Well, right, obviously, I, t- I tried to break it slightly into categories, but like. Um, I really struggled for a comedy because there's so many. Obviously, the obvious one would be Friends mm. because it's just something that I will always watch when it's on. It's like a little warm blanket of nostalgia. <laughs> um, but I haven't put it in there 
I actually put Fleabag in there as my oh. um, as my comedy. Because I think Fleabag, especially season two, mm. I just think was a work of genius. I just thought it was yeah. absolutely amazing. And, and I am a huge Andrew Scott fan, and his addition to that cast was wonderful. But I just think as a piece of... Just as a piece of creative writing and the way they realised it, I just it didn't have a weak link in it. I just thought it was brilliant. The other comedy I would have said is, is the original Office, yes. um, yeah, which yes. is always amazing. Yeah, um, I've I've gone with Breaking Bad of, for obvious reasons. Um, Solid choice. Uh, just I will always go back and I actually did start watching that again recently, and it's it, it holds up. Um, Where do you stand on the Better Call Saul Breaking Bad debate? Do you know what? I have never watched a Better Call Saul. See, oh, I'm, well. I'm, I'm in the same boat, so maybe we should both watch it. I think, I, yeah, I think I might have to break that duck at some point. Cause I think because I loved Breaking Bad so much. And yeah. to be fair, Saul was not one of my favourite characters in Breaking mm. Bad, so that might have been why. Um, I've got Battlestar Galactica. Yes! Which I just think... I, and I'm not a sci-fi fan, so this was something that was... I was away working in Prague, and someone gave me a box set and said, you've got to try this. And I was like, it doesn't, it's really not my thing. Um, and then I was literally, you know, I spent three weeks covered in like mini bar Toblerones and like, <laughs> just like going through this, going through this box set. It was amazing. And I think it's amazing because it is, it's like holding up a mirror to humanity. Mm. And it's, it's sci-fi happens to be the backdrop, but because of that, we're able to explore the human condition and they do it so brilliantly. Mm. So and now you watch I, it and you're like, mum. Yeah, exactly. And, and Trisha <laughs> Elf is in it as well. When she turned up to play my mum, I couldn't believe it. It was the most Oedipal <laughs> moment of my life. Um, uh, and then this might be controversial, but I just think it was genius. Happy Valley. Oh, yeah. Oh, I thought Happy Valley... Yeah, I don't know if you'll ever see a better performance from anybody in anything than you saw yeah. from Sarah Lancashire mm. in that. Yeah. I mean that that it was Oscar worthy. Honestly, I just 100%. thought it was yeah. fantastic. It was like watching every scene in that show is like watching a brilliant play. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, that's so that's four. And then again, it's things that feel like watching a brilliant play. I think Mad Men mm. is one of the greatest TV shows ever. Yeah, and I've I've only just watched it about in the last six months. It took oh, really? me a long time to get there. My wife was like, "You've got to watch. You've got to watch it," and so I did. And I, it was one of those ones that I binged on my own any opportunity any opportunity I could get. And it was just did the most beautifully nuanced, slow paced, character driven piece of work, and uh, just fantastic. And just a, a wonderful piece of ensemble work as well. Yeah, Mad Men is probably like the fourth, isn't it, of those yeah, great yeah, The Wire, so. Sopranos. Yeah. And yeah. It, it was incredible. Yeah. So, so good. Yeah. So that's yeah. my five. There you Amazing go. choices. Amazing choices. My, my shame here is I've never watched Happy Valley. It's on, <gasps> oh, I know, God. I know, I know, I know. It's on my list, I swear to God. It's just it's, it's one of these shows that Terry so talks great. about a lot. And she yeah. said, it's brilliant. Oh. It's really miserable. I love it. And I'm like, oh, does that mean I'm not going to like it? No. It's it, not, I wouldn't say it's miserable. I would say it's it's fascinating. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. really just, it, I, I, you will not, you, you will put it on and you won't stop. Honestly. Okay. We've been waiting as well for season, series three of, yeah. of Happy Valley. It has for a long been a time. while, hasn't it? Yeah, but is I, that still not, happening? I think so, and I think the reason why it's taking so long is I read that um, Sally Wainwright is waiting for one of the younger cast members who was in um, series series one and two, I think, to grow mm. up. 
because she wants to use uh, that's what <laughs> I read I don't know if it's true to so that she can use the same actor in whenever that's that's the reason why it's taking so long now it sounds, sounds quite it sounds like a really well thought out yeah. excuse actually. <laughs> 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 yeah, I know. but we've just seen Line of Duty which also by the oh, way yeah, yeah it's also bubbling under in my I was talking to my mum and dad about my top five last night and they right. were like mum was like is Line of Duty on there I said no it isn't mum that's your top five they love it yeah they love but, it. He, so but he did do the thing where in series one there's a, a kid a young kid who he then used in series five yeah. incredibly that's um, right Yeah. so it does happen yeah. gun full yeah. later it's yeah. just extraordinary <laughs> wow okay okay right so so mine is i've taken very much that same approach where i've gone for things that rather than trying to arbitrarily say these are the greatest five shows ever mm-hmm. these are my warm and fuzzy shows these are like if i my desert island shows essentially okay. if i could only watch five shows for the rest of my life these would be they so and it's weird to call this warm and fuzzy but at number five will be sean ryan's the shield which i Ooh. think is extraordinary i think michael chiklis is just an anti-hero for the ages it's unflinching it's brutal it's insanely violent um and to make you care about a protagonist who in the very first episode shoots an undercover cop in the face just murders him in secret and then to retain your sympathy all the way through that show for seven seasons is extraordinary it also has i think the greatest series finale of all time so uh, a lot going for the shield love it um okay. I rewatched this uh, last year, and Boyd had to sit through my rewatch painfully week on week. So I won't talk any yeah. more about that for you, Boyd. You're fine. I've, yeah. I've never seen the Shield. Oh, you James. must watch the Shield. You okay. must watch. I mean, I'll watch Happy Valley, Tom. If you oh, watch the Shield, that. mine's yeah, only two seasons of six episodes, though. <laughs> I see. Yeah, right. This is a little yeah. bit longer. Yeah. How many episodes is the Shield? It's got to be like what? It's seven seasons. Seven. I think it's, it's cable, so it's about twelve, isn't it? About twelve. Yeah. Although some of them, I think, are slightly longer. But okay. it's, it's well worth seeing. Walton Goggins is in. They've got so many good people. Forrest Whitaker turns out. Glenn Close is oh, a recurring wow. character in one season as well. I mean, it's got a real heavyweight cast okay. in there. It's, it's it's very very good. Um, eighty-eight so episodes. By eighty-eight way. episodes. That's a mere eighty-eight yeah. hours of your life. Great, you go. You've got time. It's yeah. fine. I'll do it in between takes on the next season. <laughs> <of Lucifer>. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. I'll send the box out to your trailer. Um, at number four for me, and number four is. Game of Thrones, which seems like a weird choice in some in some ways as a, as a kind of all time favorite show, but I was a big fan of the books for a very long time, so this was a very exciting thing for me. And also, I just think what they achieved with that show uh, in making fantasy palatable and mainstream, in making a show about dragons and magic and medieval court politics, you know, palatable to absolutely everyone, so it became water cooler tour. I think was something I mm-hmm. never thought would be possible. So I think Game of Thrones is absolutely magnificent, even if that one episode, The Bell's Void, is ridiculous. <laughs> um, so that's number four and number three The Wire which is of course part of the holy trinity of shows but again it's part of my my happy place there's something about The Wire that I find just kind of wraps me up in a blanket it's just, mm-hmm. it just draws you in and I love David Simon's approach to TV that kind of lean in television where he's yeah. just like you know pay attention or you're going to miss it and if you do fuck you like he doesn't care yeah great show and number two and number two of course the one the only Ron D. Moore's Battlestar Galactica Woo-hoo. which is a masterpiece of I mean you know, say what you like about about the the final episode or some of the turns it takes, but the way that show is put together and how how timely it was, and as an allegory for kind of post nine eleven America and looking mm-hmm. at looking at Iraq and that episode when you know the, the the humans become the insurgents, become the terrorists, and it kind of inverts the whole paradigm. There's so much great stuff in there. I think uh, Tom, you went on Trisha's podcast for the downloaded episode, didn't you? I did, yeah. Uh, and that's an incredible one where you see it from the silence point of view. They're living yeah. on New Caprica, and you see them sort of existing that's yeah. a mind-blowing episode I th- uh, th- th- that whole the whole series i mean it's really difficult for people who haven't seen it to understand why yeah. it's so good 
Yeah. But it just, it, 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 yeah. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. It really holds up a mirror to society. It really does. Yeah. It really does. Have you ever read the, the, the Bible that Ron put together no, before he put the show? Know. It's on the internet somewhere. He put together a kind of dossier, which was his vision for what this show should be and who all the characters were and the colonies and the world. And it really gives texture. It really mm. fleshes it out. And, and, and for Trisha's character, it literally just says the machine as woman. And that's mm -hmm. her whole character note. And I think that is perfect. Um, Sums her up in real life as well. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Battlestar Galactica number two. I'll tell you the funny fact about Trisha Helfer when you finished. Um, she, she's a huge, huge cat lover uh, to the point where I first met her, she had 13 cats. Wow. She does not look wow. like the type of person who has 13 cats, does <laughs> Doesn't she? look like a crazy cat lady. Absolutely no, not, at all. not at all. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> and, and Mark Bernardin, who does the Battlestar Galactica cast with her, is allergic yeah. to cats. So that I must know. be a special kind wow. shot for him. We shot that we, we filmed that episode in Trisha's house as well, surrounded by cats. It's just a box of Kleenex next to the Just like shooting antihistamines into his eyeballs. Number one, then. <laughs> my number one. My number one is, of course, and I would say there is nothing, be it film, show, song, video game, anything that I love as much, as wholly or as truly, as the West Wing, uh, uh, which is okay. my happy place. It is my joy. It is the thing that lets me know all is right with the world. And not just because it's what it is and the world is going to hell in a handbasket, but because it's, you know, the writing is incredible. Yeah. Every episode is a play. You know, every scene is like a symphony, like the dialogue, like Sorkin firing on all cylinders. It may wobble slightly, I think, in season five, just after, after Sorkin leaves. And I think John Wells was trying to realign the show. I think that's the only like dip and even that is great it's just not mm -hmm. as great um but i yeah the west wing for me is amazing i literally watch the whole thing through probably about once a year um yeah. oh, really <laughs> there's a lot about there's seven years a lot. <laughs> there's a lot of episodes but there's just something about it like the rhythms of it like sorkin often talks about the fact that he's uh he hears meter in dialogue mm -hmm. everything with him has a meter and a rhythm to it and you can really hear it come out in in, he, in every episode he's sort of very david mammoth-esque isn't he yeah very and, much so. and he writes very much like that where it's all on the page all yeah. these utterances every, and all um, that every stuff, R, yeah. every pause, every B. Yeah. And if it says it is and you change it to it, he'll be like, stop everything. Yeah. That's not what it says. Go back, do it again. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, famous, famously, <laughs> Matt, Matt Weiner was like that on Mad Men as well, apparently. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, very, very, very strict about the about the writing on it. Yeah, no. crazy perfectionists are probably yeah. a, a theme throughout all of these. Yeah, well, but Indeed, then yeah. sometimes that's what it takes. You know, like you get great showrunners, great filmmakers, the ones who really dot the I's and cross the T's, the ones like James Cameron who everything has to be just so because they have a vision and they want to make mm -hmm. sure that vision is realised and I think there's there's, a, there's something to be said about that. And it's not always the case in TV as well that there are so many cooks at the other end of the process yeah. that things, it's very easy to think for things to get diluted. So unless you've got somewhere with a very strong, someone with a very strong vision at the centre of it, then it's more than likely that that will get, people will get their hands on it and it won't become the thing it was meant to be in the first place. So all these ones mm. that we've talked about, you know, yeah. Fleabag as well, was like, yeah. you know, very, very, very particular vision and they were allowed to kind of execute that vision. And you mentioned The Office, which the, yes. I remember Ricky Gervais mm. and Stevie Merchant, it, which it felt improvised because it was yeah. in that faux documentary format. But again, those those incredibly naturalistic dialogue things were all in the script. They absolutely rigidly, rigidly. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, 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 it's interesting how uncompromising, though. Um, I just realised that I didn't say I'm Alan Partridge. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know what? I've had the same feeling about Alan Partridge. I, I th I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned this because I, I tormented myself with which Alan Partridge thing to pick because I actually love Mid Morning Matters with Alan <laughs> yeah, Partridge. Yeah. You know, uh, I, and all the things. So because I couldn't narrow it down to one series, I ended up not doing it. But he is my favourite TV character of all time. I mean, yeah. he absolutely 
yeah. you know. I'm with you on that. Love I just it, think yeah. that, was a, that is a work of genius yeah, for completely. sure. Yeah. I'm Alan Partridge season one, I think, is my favourite. Yeah, I think doubt. that's generally considered his, the best, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree, yeah. But <laughs> it's hard to pin it down. It's just Alan Partridge itself, every single element of Alan Partridge <laughs> from start to finish yeah. is, is, should, be, should win television, yeah. yeah. I don't love totally. Alan Partridge, but possibly because it strikes a little close to home. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 this is, I mean, five is impossible, isn't it? The amount is Sophie's choice. I mean, I, I was like, where's Friends? Where's Breaking Bad? Where's Cracker? Jimmy McGovern's Cracker. Oh my you know, God, I, yeah. there's no Star Trek on my list. That wounded me. Uh, it's a Friday Night Lights, Sons of Anarchy, Blackadder, Forty Towers. You could have put it on your list. You didn't yeah, exactly. We didn't yeah. stop you. Yeah, yeah. you did. Yeah. Wound no. yourself. I just, I did. I agonised over this far too much. If it had been a Star Trek, it would have been Deep Space Nine. That's all I'm going to say. But it didn't okay. quite. It didn't quite. Didn't quite make it. Right. Incidentally, if anyone's wondering why Beth has gone really, really quiet for the last 20 minutes or so it's because she's having connection issues and we kind of lost her but uh fear not she will rejoin us later in the show once she sorts out her internet so those are the lists we'll splice in beth's list later when we sort her out <laughs> when we get um, back hope she's when still we get going. back when we get her back we'll sort her out later uh but right that was our top five shows of all time let's move on now to this week's news and see what's been happening in the world of tv and boy i suspect you of all people are very excited by what's been happening at the palace yes i am yeah the crown is it's been confirmed um to return uh, season four will premiere on november the 15th on the netflix um and we get to meet this is the series in which we get to meet um princess diana um we get to meet margaret thatcher played by gillian anderson in yes. fact that thing alone oh really yeah, yeah. thatcher played by gillian anderson a, a genius bit of casting yeah um, and in the so there, there is a trailer, there is a teaser trailer where you glimpse these people. But you yeah. don't really see them in any in any great detail, um, but it has got my my uh, my excitement going massively. Um, Olivia Coleman's still the queen, and I can't wait. Yeah, I mean, it, and um, I think the the fact that we get to the point where Prince Charles is meets Diana, you know, in his thirties, and all of that, and all the ramifications of that, and everything is going to be so interesting to see how they how they depict all of that. Um, yeah, I'm really fascinated by it, so I'm excited about that. The footage we saw was the one we saw Gillian Anson as Thatcher, but we also it's Emma Corrin's Princess Diana that we yeah. see from behind, isn't it? Now they've announced who the next Princess Diana will yes. be, and that's Elizabeth Debicki. Elizabeth Debicki, yeah, which is an inspired choice, sort of facially. Yeah. However, Elizabeth Debicki is, I believe, six foot three, which is a slight depart. I don't know who they're going <laughs> to have. Really, who's going to be the Charles next to her? I have no idea. Jason Momoa, possibly. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, having and seen Jason her, that would be amazing. Yeah, that would be brilliant. Maybe Prince Philip. I don't know. Yeah, um, but I think Elizabeth's too big. Having seen Tenet, she's going to do brilliantly. She's as, magnificent, um, Diana. Yeah. I think she's yeah. very, very good. So yeah, that's uh, an exciting bit of casting for yeah. Crown fans. Uh, a couple of renewals this week. Uh, Ted Lasso, which Boyd you and I liked very much, that has been renewed for a second season. But more importantly, really than anything else, Warrior Nun will be back for season yeah, two yes. on Netflix, and I am here for it. Yes. So have you seen Warrior Nun? Do you know what? Confession, confession time. <laughs> uh, I haven't, but they they did decide to um, do a sort of marketing launch with Lucifer. So on the, on one side of Sunset Strip, there is a billboard that says "All Hail" with Warrior Nun, and then there's a picture of my face on the other side saying "All Hell." So they've been oh, they've good. jumped on the back of us for a bit of marketing. So I'm so glad they've got um, season two. Yeah, I think but that no, means crossover. It, surely crossover oh, yes. episodes got to happen. Could be. I mean, we'll have to get it in quick. It's our final season. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it can happen. It's yeah. a lot of fun. And a lot of fun. And you do like a crossover. You've been in. You've been in. I did. Oh, Arrowverse, did. didn't I did, you? Yes. Yeah. I did the Arrowverse. Yeah. yeah. I had. I had the. I had, a, I had a day that was like Challenge Annika. So basically, I woke up. <laughs> I woke up in LA. I went to work in LA 
uh, Warner Brothers, got hair and makeup, did a scene yeah. there, went to LAX in my hair and makeup, wow. my civvies, with a Lucifer suit in my, <laughs> in my suitcase, <laughs> flew up to Vancouver, landed, went straight to set in Vancouver, and then did a, did a couple of scenes there. <laughs> that was it. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, right. it was fun. But it was, I'm glad. They, they've been asking me to do that for a long time, so it was nice to go up. To, and it was nice to go up to Vancouver as well, because that's where we used to film Lucifer, yes. and I've got yeah, a lot yes. of old mates up there. So yeah. it, was, uh, it was cool. That's exciting. So, because I always forget that the Lucifer that you play is the one that comes from Neil Gaiman's Sandman, and then the mm -hmm. Lucifer comic. So it kind of inspired from that. And in the comic, I'm pretty sure he's based on David Bowie. He like is. that's the inspiration for it. Well, I'm so. I, this is how ignorant I am. I didn't know that it was based on a comic book when I first went for the job. So I, I, I I'm kind of glad that I didn't because I think it might have affected my psyche about it. Because if I'd seen these comic books with a character with blonde hair, I would have gone, "Well, I'm not getting this part." I mean, that's how stupid actors are. But um, yeah, I it, it was it was one of those weird ones where I got it, and then I read on Deadline in Hollywood that Tom Ellis got this job based on the Neil Gaiman Sandman comics, and I was like, "What? That's great! That is so good." We have incorporated Bowie into, haven't you? You sing, but there's Bowie, Bowie songs. We, yeah, I mean, we had yeah. a lot of Bowie. The first time Lucifer walks into his nightclub, actually, in the pilot episode, we played it. We did it to fame. And right. again, it was one of those pinch me moments because we had a real nightclub down in Sun, um, Sunset Boulevard and it was just packed full of background people and like people with pythons around their neck and stuff like that. <laughs> and then he's cranked up fame and I had to walk through all these people looking cool. And I was like, this is my favourite job I've ever done without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> That is so good. So when you when you like first read for it, there was no like they weren't telling you to Bowie it up or anything. What what did no, they specifically all. look for? Do you know what were the what well, were there the was character a, that, notes? It's interesting you were talking about the um, specific specific can't even say <laughs> specificity of yeah. writing because um, there was no it wasn't it didn't say Lucifer's British any of these sort of things. It just it but it was written the part was written um, with a particular cadence to it and. When I was reading it, it didn't read like any other TV script that I'd read. This, the, the character didn't read like that. And I tried it with an American accent to start with, when, and it didn't work. He just sounded mm -hmm. like a dick, to be honest. <laughs> um, and then the more I read it, the more I was like, this really reminded me of um, uh, a character in like an Oscar Wilde play or a Noel Coward play. And that kind of like, they're very verbally dexterous, very in charge of what they're saying in their vocabulary, but they deliver it at a very sort of machine gun rate. So that was that was my kind of starting point with that, and then um, with the sort of rock and roll swagger of Mick Jagger thrown in. So <laughs> Mick Jagger and Oscar Wilde's love child is Lucifer, Amazing. basically. That's a brilliant description. <laughs> yeah. Your voice, you you change your voice quite. And do you? I do. Yeah. Do you have to like get, remember what the voice is each time you kind of start <laughs> it, a new series or something? It, it is weird how quite, like the more I do it, the more it just like it's like putting a pair of shoes on. But um, yeah, I, at first it was it is a, it's a more heightened. Um, yeah you know uh di dialect than my own and it's it's weird because americans don't twig into that they yeah. just think that that's how i talk in real life <laughs> yeah the only people which would be really, funny yeah it would be really funny and ridiculous i get punched a lot <laughs> yeah. um, but my my daughters hate it when i go into my oh. lucifer voice they're like dad please <laughs> it's so embarrassing <laughs> dad that is great <laughs> it's genius it's a genius voice to tap into because you 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 kind of feel like this whole show really hinges on that performance, and I can't mm -hmm. help feeling with an American actor in that role, this would not still be. I a don't thing. think it would have. I don't yeah. think it would have. Like I said, I tried. I tried it American, and there's something it, 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 weirdly over there. There is something about they they find the British accent very charming. Yeah. So to to you know, and you really had to kind of whack up the charm factor on this one to make him a lovable character. So it just all it, it was like the perfect storm that conspired for me to get this part really.
Yeah. <laughs> well, going back to news, I have to ask Tom, have you ever seen Dennis Kelly's Utopia? I haven't, but I do love Dennis Kelly. He's very, very he, good indeed. He, I was in uh, Pulling with Sharon, and, he, yes. and Sharon yeah, wrote that yes. together, and yeah. he is a very, very gifted writer. So uh, I haven't... Was, it, was that the Utopia that started on Channel 4, or is this a different yeah. one? Yeah. It is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ran for two seasons was incredible, and okay. it's about to get its American reincarnation with Gillian Flynn has, has taken over this. Uh, from Con Girl, and uh, I've been a bit sceptical about this. I love the Kelly one so much, and it was so stylized. But there's a new trailer for Utopia that dropped this week, and actually, I am sold. Like, it's different. It's mm. exactly what Boy was saying like, the other week. It's like, Gillian Flynn's done something very different with it. She changed the tone mm -hmm. of it. She's not tried to replicate what Kelly did. But it seems to work. What did you think, Boyd? I agree. Yeah, it looked really good. It looked really good. I'm, I'm very excited about it. And we are uh, speaking to Dennis Kelly next week for the for the podcast, so we can find out the extent to which he's got. It's an exec producer credit yeah. on um, on this version, but I don't think he's had that much to do with it. Um, I get the sense, and um, I have to say, I've just watched the first episode of his next show which we're interviewing about mania which is um the third day which is this have you heard about this tom it's this project with oh, yeah. jude law and naomi harris and it's um it's 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 an extraordinary idea where it's split into three parts first three episodes jude law visits this island this mysterious island in the british isles which actually exists it's where they shot the um is it the woman in black the um the daniel radcliffe film mm. um ghost story film it's this really incredible location he goes and visits weird things happen then there's a live event that happens in the middle of it which is going to be on sky arts and then there's another three episodes with this connected story where naomi harris goes to oh, the wow. island to uh, and it's a fascinating whole idea, project is, is they've had to delay it it was originally meant to happen in may but obviously because of because of world events yeah. they've had to delay it but i think they're still going to have the live the live bit of it in the middle at some point um and and dennis kelly's come up with the whole thing with a punch drunk um theater uh, people, yeah. Um, yeah. They're, so they're doing the kind of the live element. Um, so we're, yeah, we're speaking to. I'm speaking to him about oh, that. that next sounds week. fascinating. So interesting. Yeah. yeah. And that, and they, I think the trailer's gone out for that as well, um, which is going to happen on Sky um, in the middle of September. Mm. I shall look out for that. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like an interesting one. Yeah, it looks um, great. What else has been happening in the world, Boyd? Ah, yes, The Boys Season 3. We had a bit of cast news. Jensen Ackles. <gasps> Jensen, yes. Yes, He's Jensen is mind. joining. I was about to Did say, because you, presumably you met when you were filming up in We, we literally Vancouver. were next door neighbours in yeah. Vancouver. Like, uh, they, and they are so lovely, those boys. They, we we moved up there to start Season 1, and they were on the stage next door to us, and they had a big kind of um, welcome party for us. Oh, bless oh, them. Wow. They, they are... Um, exactly how people should behave and work on a TV set, and they've done it for 15 years, yeah. and everybody loves them. Um, and I got, in fact, I got taken to my first Comic Con on their private jet from oh, Vancouver. Wow, wow. <laughs> the supernatural <laughs> right. jet. They've got their right. own private jet. Can you believe that? That's incredible. <laughs> I can. I can believe that. 15 yeah. seasons. That's all. 15 I need. seasons. Yeah. yeah. You'll have a jet. Yeah, yeah, you'll have a jet. You'll definitely have. By the end of you'll season six, definitely a loose yeah. of a jet. I don't know if I want one because I did hear the last time they were on it, they were on their way to Vegas to do a convention, and one of the engines blew up. <laughs> That's oh, blimey! Okay. I'd been on that that same jet, and they'd said, "Oh, yeah, it's got three engines, and you only need one to fly." Because it's a humble brag. <laughs> I was like, "You never thought you'd see the day we actually need that <laughs> that fact to come through." Wow! <laughs> did you know that in Supernatural, in season eleven, episode? 10 there's a, they have a lucifer on the show and there is a line mm. where he says he says if he ever gets out of his cage in hell he'll move to la and help solve crime yeah so there you go and that was before the lucifer pilot wasn't it so i think i think we were filming season one that's where they threw oh, that in I yeah see. Oh, yeah I it's see. a lot of in jokes you oh, see very much so. <laughs>
Why not? <laughs> but yeah, Jensen's going to be playing a soldier boy who feels like inspired by Captain America type type person because he's referenced, he's mentioned in season two, which we'll be reviewing later. Uh, and I think he's going to have a larger role in The Boys season three. The Boys, of course, being a really, really great show on Amazon. So. Oh my God, it's amazing. Yeah. I, that was one of my favourite shows the last 12 months. So good. Out. So yeah. good. Well, no spoilers for the review later on, but season two is really good as well. Right. Uh, yeah, very, very good. Uh, Boyd, any other news from you? Um, I just wanted to mention that BBC Three um, is going to show the very highly acclaimed Aquafina series um, that she made that's based on her own uh, upbringing called Aquafina is Nora from Queens. That's the title of the show. Um, and BBC is going to... Sh- BBC Three is going to show the hot ten part series um, quite soon, and I think it's because we mentioned last week that BBC Three got the rights to this Luca Guadagnino. Is that how you pronounce <laughs> it? Luca Guadagnino. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. That's um, his, right. his series. Um, so I think BBC Three generally seems to be stepping up their acquisitions of top quality international shows. It seems to, it seems to be happening, and this one, I'm, I'm, I think Aquafina is brilliant. So I'm excited about that. Cool. Good stuff. Uh, the only other thing I will possibly mention in Dispatches, Tom, I don't know if you're a Wheel of Time fan, but uh, there's been a little bit of a... I, it was a long shot. Uh, <laughs> there's been some casting on that front. So Sophie Okanedo has joined that large cast I for that show. Her. Yes, and she's going to be playing uh, Swan Sanche, head of the Aes Sedai, in case you were wondering, Boyd. And, uh, <laughs> I was. Yeah, I yeah. thought you were. And Kai Alexander is joining as Min. Elmin Dreda Farshaw is her full name. Uh, so there you go. Anyone who loves a bit of Robert Jordan will be very psyched about that everyone's in this fucking show i'm very excited about it right that is it for the news section time now for the banshee section so named after jonathan tropper's (laughs) 2013 show of the same name tom have you ever watched banshee I haven't. I haven't. Well, <laughs> you, no, I, I haven't. I can tell you what, I'll send you that box set with the shield one because that is, uh, it's got Anthony Starr who plays Homelander in The Boys, who's amazing okay. in The Boys. But he's really, really, really good in this as a kind of an ex-con who poses as a small town sheriff and kind of adopts this guy's life. Okay. And it's incredibly violent, but it's very, very good. But this that was the first show that we ever banshee, as it were, hence the name. Because uh, okay. this is a segment where we take the opportunity to recommend for our listeners a show that's kind of since left the airwaves and one that we think might have passed them by although frankly i've taken a quite liberal uh, interpretation of that particular <laughs> point in the past but uh, tom would you like to go first what show would you I like would. to recommend um so obviously i'm a huge russell t davis fan um, yes. he did a a season of a show god about 15 years ago now called bob and rose mm. with alan davis and uh leslie sharp and it's still to this day, I, I think back to that show and I just think it was the most beautiful story. It's a love story about two friends that fall in love with each other. He's gay and she's straight. And it's just, it was wonderful. I thought it was absolutely wonderful. And it came and it went. And I always think back to that show and I always reference it and I always recommend it to people because I think it was Russell writing at his finest. I've never seen that. I have never yeah. seen yeah, it. Was it was an ITV show, I think it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, to- um, I, I, I totally agree. Yeah, it's one of the great, um, it's one, it, you know, it was a brilliant thing for him to do. It was, he got loads of flack for it because he had a gay man falling in love with a woman, yeah. which, you know, so like people accuse him of betraying, you know, um, uh, sexuality and all of that but it's it, you know it happens it was a it was completely um believable and brilliantly written yeah it was fantastic yeah. absolutely wow there you go a very good choice there's your banshee for you right banshee <laughs> Boyd, i've got a feeling that you and i talked about it when it came out actually yes i think, I we, think did. we did yeah. when we were at the, yeah. when we were at the gooners one day yeah yeah um, but it was just it was it was yeah. beautiful six episodes yeah. of beautiful tv 
I did an event with Russell last year where we went through his career and we showed clips of you know all of his big shows and he was he has a particular fondness for that show absolutely oh. it's like yeah he he I it, wonder it, whether there was any kind of autobiographical qualities within that one at all yeah, I, I'm I think not a little sure bit. I think yeah. there were a little bit yeah. yeah yeah definitely yeah I'll add that to my watch list as well so many things to watch Boyd Boyd what is yours do you have another thing that I'm going to have to watch yes I've gone I've gone way back I thought because when we're looking at our favourite shows of all time it started it got me thinking of shows that I was I was I grew up watching um, things like Tales. I used to love things like Tales of the Unexpected, which, by the way, is on Sky Arts right now in this country. And it's, it's Sky Arts' most popular show. So they have all their own, like, they have their own commissions, you know. They have Portrait Artists of the Year, which I really like. Um, but the one that gets downloaded the most from Sky Arts is old episodes of Tales of the Unexpected from the 70s. But that's not my banshee, because everyone knows that show. <laughs> but I was thinking of, like, creepy, I loved creepy, horror-y, thrillery, a lot of them were on ITV. So there was there, a, a guy called Gaz Evans on Twitter reminded me of Chimera, which I nearly picked, but I thought, well, he's picked that. Then I was thinking of Thriller. Does anyone want Thriller was a was a um, anthology show with loads of different chilling, thrilling, uh, twisty storylines, and Brian Clemens created that, who worked on um, the Avengers and the Persuaders. Mm -hmm. He was like a legendary name in the seventies on TV. But I haven't gone for that either. Instead, <laughs> I've gone for Beasts. By Nigel Neal, um, who is the legend who created um, uh, all kinds of brilliant TV. Quatermass, he created the Quatermass series. And he was a proper like um, writer of horror and science fiction. Um, and Beasts only lasted one series on ITV, six episodes. And it was also an anthology show. And the theme was bestial horror. So horror stories revolving around rats one episode's all about rats a middle-class couple's life being ruined by rats <laughs> martin shaw stars in an episode called buddy boy in which he's haunted by the spirit of a dolphin yes <laughs> yes i mean how the result wow i mean yes. <laughs> and there's another episode where patrick mcgee is tries to turn himself into a wolf and it's just got really it was really i remember watching this when i was like you know i must have been nine ten years old being absolutely creeped out by it but i remember it being so interesting and so weird and creepy and and, 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 and unusual and it was like an itv sunday night <laughs> thing only lost of that one series you can get it on dvd for about 10 quid honestly i, I it's it was oh it was gosh. formative for me judge yeah. john d being haunted by flipper <laughs> yeah. exactly brilliant I got, you hit yeah. the nail I on can't that wait. <laughs> yeah that's Bring extraordinary oh god i don't know how i follow that um I will say that I have, I have in the past, I have, I mean, it's been a hundred episodes, we banshee a lot of shows. One of the shows that I did banshee in the past, Tom, was Jack Thorne's The Fades, which Yay! I loved. And when I heard it didn't get a second series, I was mortified. That was so good. Well, I've got a nice story about that in that we were, um, we just got cancelled and then it was the BAFTAs about two yeah. weeks later and then we won Best Drama Series. Yeah. Which yeah. felt very vindicated because yeah. I, I still to this day think it's one of the best things I've ever so done. So good. J Jack is just brilliant. And Ian DeCasica, who's one of the uh, leads in it, is one of my best friends. Oh, really? Oh, well. Well, we became friends on that. And then he did, we did Crickley Hall together, Secret Crickley Hall. And then um, he's been out in the States doing um, doing his show out there. And I've been out there. So we are, we're really good pals. And Dan, Dan Kaluuya as well. Yeah, yeah. It was a yeah. great, I mean, it's really, what a really. Cost. Yeah, it absolutely. Really was, and it was kind of ahead of its time over here. Yeah. It was much more of an American type show and yes. it's right. conceit 
Um, but but with the British sensibilities, and that's what I loved about it. Jack's just such an incredible. He writer. really is, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. done more for himself, hasn't he? Yeah, he's done all right. <laughs> he's done all right. He's done all right. Yeah. He's done all right. He's keeping yeah. the wolf from the door. I think there are a couple of shows that aren't written by him. Like, <laughs> but, um, they're written by Jed McCurry. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, exactly. I'm. Uh, I, I don't have a, a Jack Thorne show for you today. It's actually a Ryan Murphy show, one from Ooh. way back in 2003. Nip tuck oh um, yeah yeah, yeah. No. julian yeah. mcmahon absolutely yeah. that one dylan yeah. walsh and julian mcmahon uh, as a pair of plastic surgeons working out of uh, practice in miami uh dr sean mcnamara and dr christian troy which is a great name christian uh, troy yeah, and it kind of balanced in it? it balanced that patient of the week thing with their sort of sordid personal lives and it, it did that thing where it was i mean i'd seen a lot of medical procedures predominantly er but this one was again for that particular period it was a procedure that used sort of longer story arcs as well mm. so it had more in sort of it had a, a, a much more of an ongoing theme to it uh, it was on fx i believe and i watched yeah. most of this actually weirdly i they flew me out to south africa to cape town to go on the set of nicholas cage's film that we saw lord of war and i spent a week <laughs> on set of lord of war and i didn't know anyone there and all i had was episodes of nip tuck so that's basically all i did for the whole wow. week that i was out there but i got really into it like it's super daft and i think there's there's an episode with a diy circumcision which is ah um and uh and, <laughs> and, and exactly and there's it gets into quite darker territory like there's the introduction there's i think it's season three there's a serial rapist called the carver so it, it gets into slightly unexpected places um but Ryan Murphy said that all the medical cases were, the medical cases at least, not so much the serial killers, were based 100% on real, you know, patients. Uh, and, and it had really good people in it. Jolie Richardson was in there yeah. as, uh, as Julia. Um, I think the regular cast had Vanessa Redgrave, Famke Janssen, Peter Dinklage, Katie Sackhoff's uh, Starbuck was in it. Oh. Uh, and Bradley Cooper turned up in it as well. They're all among the, the regular cast. Around for six seasons. And uh, addendum fact, in 2013, the Colombian TV network Caracol made a Spanish language adaptation of Nip Tuck <laughs> called Mentiras Perfectas. So there you go. <laughs> Nip Tuck. I might watch that version. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they loved adult scenes in Nip Tuck. Yeah, oh, yes. Were, it was very big. It, mm. it was on over here. Was, was it on it was. Yeah. or something? Yeah. 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 It was yeah. definitely on yeah. over here. It was, it was big for a while. Yeah, yeah. It, it was. raunchy, wasn't it? It was it definitely very raunchy. Yeah. yeah. Very Jolie Richardson, she loves a bit of raunch. <laughs> she got the lady chatterly. She couldn't get enough. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. As was Julie McMahon, I think. Yes, too. very much yes. so. Yes. Yeah. He was the, the resident Lothario the, in that series. Yeah. He was. Yeah. Did he start on Home and Away, like many of them? Oh, I maybe, think he yeah. was on Home and Away. He might oh, well have pretty certain. Or neighbors. Yes, you're right. You're absolutely right. He played there we go. Ben Lucini in Home <laughs> yes, and Away. Fantastic knowledge. Oh, I know. Me and my sisters used to be obsessed. That's great. That's amazing. We used to watch Home and Away and then flip over and watch Neighbours. Of course. Of course. Of course. See, yeah. I just watched The Neighbours myself. I never got yeah, into same. Home and Away. Loved a bit of Neighbours, though. Loved it. Love it. Now, Love it. we will let you go, Tom, before we get into the review section so we don't uh, okay. you know, keep you here for the rest of the day because I'm sure you have other things <laughs> to do. But the one thing I will ask you first is obviously we've seen that you can sing extremely, really well on the show. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to sing. Uh, and oh, we know God. that you can play the piano. But the question is, and I think I know the answer to this because the camera panned around as you were sitting down. Can you play the guitar? There is a guitar I in that room. I have seen it. I can yes. play the guitar. I actually, the weird thing is, I can't play the piano. I can play air piano. Oh, I do air piano I really see. well. But, um, uh, and I know my way loosely around it, but I'm not, I don't play the piano on the Lucifer tracks. I sing on the Lucifer tracks, but I don't play the piano. But yeah, I do play guitar. You do I've play been, guitar. Uh, tinkering around and teaching myself over the last few years. Now I, during lockdown, I did the, obviously, middle-aged man thing. I bought a guitar. I'm learning the guitar because, of course, you have to. Brilliant. So I've been yeah. doing that, and I have been attempting to play things at various points on this podcast. 
I, I can't tell you how terrible I am. I really can't. Beth teaches guitar, it turns out, to children. So last week she oh. came in and busted out some incubus riffs and put me to shame. But I wondered, is there anything that you would be prepared to play us on the guitar oh before my God, you go? I don't even know if it's in tune because this is my mum's guitar. <laughs> please, so, please, Lucifer, play us know, something on your mum's I, guitar. I set, I, set, um, I set myself the task at the beginning of lockdown to try and learn Blackbird. Oh, oh wow. Uh, it's out of tune. This sounds great to my ears. Oh, that's good. There, there, down that's there. good. Oh, it's that's out of tune. Terribly out of tune. But still, that's that's that was some skills. Recognizable as Blackbird. Yeah. Yeah. That's been yeah. that's been my lockdown. I set myself a mission at the beginning of lockdown to learn Blackbird. Fantastic. There we go. Wow. Lenny that, James is learning the guitar as well. Let me say that. Is he better yeah. than me? He was. Uh, I don't know. He didn't play. He was on a podcast um, and talking about how he's learning to play guitar in lockdown as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely a thing. Yeah. yeah it is a thing. I use it. I have it. I've got a guitar in my trailer. That's what. That's my sort of. Uh, is it the Lucifer down, guitar? So. The one because I've seen a picture of you holding a Lucifer guitar. It isn't. That was at a fan convention uh. that someone made for me, which was not the best sounding guitar actually, but, <laughs> but it looks great. <laughs> <laughs> that but, was great. Uh, and and you know, obviously, we got you to play the guitar. I will not ask you to play the French horn, which I believe you did play in the Sheffield Youth Orchestra once upon a time. I did. I did. Well, my mum was a music teacher, so we all got like given instruments <laughs> when we were <laughs> five or six. I started on the trumpet and then my mum and dad made an executive decision when I was eight years old that I should take up the French horn instead because it would give me more opportunities in life <laughs> has it opened a lot of doors for you since then so, oh, literally used as a doorstop in my house <laughs> actually do you know what I did manage to get it into Lucifer in this fine in this season oh, we just you? done yeah, I just one day wanted Lucifer to just be randomly playing the French horn for no reason. Oh, brilliant! And then someone comes in to, and he just puts it down and never references it again. So, yeah. What was he playing? Can so you say? Uh, I was attempting Mo- Mozart's Fourth Horn Concerto. I think it's been quite a while. My embouchure is not quite there anymore. That is quite <laughs> extraordinary. Quite extraordinary. Can we just say it's amazing that we've had you on for? Um, you know, an hour or however long we've had you on for, and we haven't mentioned Miranda. And can I just point out, this is mainly because James probably never heard of it. I have heard he doesn't of it, really watch. I, it's, again, it's one of those shows I've never watched. Yeah. It's one of my yeah. secret shames. Not so I mean, it's yeah. on all the time, James. Yeah, it's still on. No yeah. Excuse, is there? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to set you the task of watching an episode of Miranda. I will. That's, that's going to be... I think, you should, I think you'd enjoy yeah. it. It's one of those ones that you can't help but enjoy, even if you yeah. think, oh, I'm going to hate this at the start of it. Classic proper british sitcom well we have Absolutely. this ongoing thing on this podcast that i don't understand comedy which i think there's a certain amount of truth to um we used to have a segment where i tried to understand various comedies that boyd made me watch and it was a bit hit and miss well this one i think the thing about miranda is it's about pure fun and comedy yeah. as opposed yeah. to kind of like you know tuning into someone's comedy language or whatever yeah, yeah. this is just it's sort of let it wash over you and then see how you feel afterwards. Embrace yeah. it. Embrace Properly it. funny. At the, using slapstick, which is one of my favourite yeah. forms of comedy in a, in a brilliant way. I was mentioning last week, I think there's a new wave of out-and-out funny comedies on British mm-hmm. TV at the moment. Diane um, Morgan's one. Have you watched that? Um, I haven't. Uh, I haven't. I had an interesting chat with the BBC a few weeks ago, actually, because we I was pitching a show to them, and they were oh, yeah. they were talking about um, where their focus is at the moment with comedy, and it very much is in that much broader. It's interesting, isn't scheme. it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it goes through. It's very cyclic comedy. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I hope you get your. Uh... No, they Think said done. no. Oh, great. Oh, well, bastards. <laughs> Fuck them. We'll move on. We'll move on, yeah. Amazing, amazing. And on that bombshell, Tom, thank you so much for joining us. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you. 
Thanks, guys. You're welcome back anytime. Thank you very much. Nice cheers. to talk to you. Nice to see you again, boys. Yeah, cheers, Tom. Take care. Cheers. Thanks, guys. That was the Lord of Hell, the delightful Mr. Tom Ellis. Sorry to see him go, but we are welcoming back <laughs> our very own Beth Webb, who has overcome her various connection issues yeah. and is rejoining us. Hello, Beth. Welcome back. What a nightmare. I feel like we've missed out on an awful lot. Um, I'll tell you what, before we get into this week's reviews, do you have a banshee for us that you'd like to share? So... This week, I've been catching up on the work of an actress called Amy Simons. She's very cool. She's an actress who's been in just a bunch of stuff. She was in the recent version of the Pet Cemetery film, mm. make of that film what you will. But she also directed the first series of The Girlfriend Experience. Uh, and it went out on Stars in America, but you can watch it on Amazon Prime over here. And I've rewatched it recently, and it's astonishing it's so cool it's got Riley Kyo in it who is a, a great actress she's been in a few indie films and she's the star of this and she plays this auspicious lawyer who becomes embroiled in the world of sex work um kind of upmarket elite sex work and gets a real handle for the trades and it's amazing it's super stylishly filmed it's really it's just really cool it's just a really cool show um, and you can watch it all on Amazon Prime and it's great. And I think they've just started shooting the fourth season as well. So it's a good time to jump in and watch that if you haven't already. Time now for this week's reviews. And first up this week is the latest series of Strike or CB Strike if you happen to live in the US. This is the series based on the crime thrillers by J.K. Rowling penned under the name Robert Galbraith. The first three novels, Cuckoo's Calling, Siltworm and Career of Evil have already graced our screens. And this series sees the investigative duo of Robin and Cormoran take on an all new mystery based on the most recent novel Lethal White in which an MP is being blackmailed and a 20 year old murder starts to come to to light. Boyd, does the latest series of Strike live up to its name? Yes, I think it does. Um, I think we're both, aren't we? I'm not sure about Beth, but I, th- I know we're both big fans of Strike. Oh, I love it. I yeah. love it. Um, and it's, it's. Um, sometimes I find it quite difficult to put my finger on why I love it so much, but I think it's this, it, it, it was crystallised actually in the first episode. This is the fourth of the novels to be adapted, yeah. and there are only four so far. Um, and the opening of this new um mystery which is over four episodes is takes place in the wedding of um of uh robin and her bellend husband such a a bellend such a bellend (laughs) raging huge bellend all the way through and you're like why the fuck is she with is with with, she with this guy so the first opening scene is is their wedding and the and this is how much she clearly prefers the company of um cormoran strike her Boss now slash equal in the de- private detective agency because she this spoiler alert this happens in the first five minutes but I loved it she interrupts her own first dance <laughs> at her wedding to go and check on Cormoran make sure fair, he's okay to be fair any wedding where they have a first dance to the calling is doomed to failure that's a marriage it's exactly never gonna last yeah. like, and, then I was, fair enough. and then I was nervous about saying it on here in case either of you love the calling or Tom oh, no. Ellis love the calling terrible first dance terrible first dance he chose it obviously because he's a <laughs> yes, clearly he chose I mean, it. that's him all over. But what it crystallised for me, that scene, and it was, it, was, it, it was a great opening, and then you cut to a year later, um, is that it's all about this really interesting relationship between um, Cormoran and Robin. And um, 
And I think that's really, that's what makes it different. And, you know, there, obviously there are dozens and dozens of detective dramas every fucking week. But she has created J.K. Rowling slash um, writing under Robert Galbraith, this really interesting relationship between these two people. And uh, and I think it, it just kind of rings true. I think psychologically, I think it rings true. And what's happening with her and her doofus bellend now husband <laughs> adds to that whole relationship as well, because he resents so much. He's he As a bellend, he can see there's something special about their relationship and and how that's playing out over time over all of these stories i think is so interesting so you've got that fascinating thing going on and the the who done it mystery element of it is really interesting as well so in this story there a, a kind of troubled man arrives in the office who says he witnessed a really um traumatic event in, in years ago and he's still traumatized by it and he wants them to investigate that his brother played by nick blood and i love nick blood by the way i think he's 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 brilliant in everything he does he is this left-wing radical left-wing firebrand who makes speeches to people in pubs about left-wing issues which is interesting and then interconnected is an MP wants them to investigate himself being blackmailed and you're not sure why he won't say why and how he's being blackmailed but he is being blackmailed and that is connected to these two brothers as well so there's a kind of slightly contrived connection between all of these different elements but I think she the the storytelling makes it work makes it makes you believe that all these things would be connected and that Cormoran and Robin would investigate stuff and she has to go undercover um, with this MP. So Robert Glenister plays the MP. He's great. Joseph Quinn is the troubled guy. He's great. The idea of her going undercover, I think, is really interesting and, and um, funny. And, and, and funny. funny. It's a raging exactly. Tory type character. Right. So there's a raging Tory. There's a raging left-wing firebrand. And when you know about... And this is going to... I think people will, will talk about this because J.K. Rowling has become... We cannot avoid it, a controversial figure on Twitter, you know, with her thoughts on um, transgender issues, etc., and hmm. politics in general. She's a political... She's an out-there political figure now i think it's fair to say and some of this is touched upon in this story and i'm fascinated to see where it goes um i think it's brilliantly made uh brilliantly written and i'm fully in favor we should i should credit um so tom edge has adapted and he worked on two of the previous ones as well i think and it's directed by sue tully of course who used to be in eastenders and has now become an absolutely brilliant accomplished director and she does i think she does a brilliant job because the pacing of it Mm. the the it visually i think it looks great um um, it's a. It's, I think it's a. You know, it is a special um, detective drama among many, many detective dramas. And the thing that keeps it going is this chemistry between these characters. Because yeah. that's not like the mysteries. All of the mysteries in these books have been very strong. Like from the from the beginning, I've very much enjoyed the Stripe mysteries. But it is the glue. It's Robin and Cormoran and their dynamic and the fact that he's. I mean, he's a really interesting character. Like a veteran, an amputee. You know, he's got a lot of baggage. The son of a rock star. Like there's a there's a lot of moving parts to this. But there's something about their on-screen chemistry like they're both really sexy they're both really interesting the tension is palpable i did think that some of the shall we say some of the sort of uh the sort of lovey flashback sequences were maybe a touch heavy-handed the sort of montage like we get it you fancy each other it's okay you don't need to spell it out we are there with you it's all right move on uh but that that would be my only criticism of this we've seen the first two out of four episodes that have been made available to us and the end of episode two well that's quite a thing uh, i also should point out i find it very gratifying that uh that strike and robin's office is next to one joe guitars on denmark street yes. which is a stone's throw away from our old office uh, <laughs> and i enjoy that immensely uh, beth are you a strike fan have you seen the previous seasons have you i was coming in blind i was coming into strike blinds um although it was instantly i mean your 
excitement about this was very contagious. <laughs> I think there was about five, seven S's on your yas when you decided <laughs> we were watching this. Uh, I love Tom Burke. Um, I first saw him, oh, new to Tom Burke, actually. I only saw him last year in The Souvenir. Mm, he's um, very good. Massive fan of Holiday Granger. And I love how she's kind of essentially ditched the corset period dramas to come on and do <sighs> these amazing kind of hardened roles now. Um this being one of them. I do love her as Venetia, the yes. uh, Venetia the Tory intern. Yeah. Is, um, just the double life I'd like to lead is as Venetia the Tory, the Tory intern. Um, but she's got more to, I mean, I say this having not really seen any of, of the others, but based on what the two of you have said, there's there's more fabric around um, Strike here. But I feel like you're finding out a lot about her in this season. Mm. She's dealing with anxiety, which she acts out extraordinarily. She has sort of a panic attack on her first day at the job um, and handles that really well. The, the chemistry, as you say, I think the chemistry for me is the, is the thing that keeps me wanting to find out what happens. Yeah. I'm, I'm slightly behind you two on the, I think I've seen a, a few too many grizzled detectives to, to find this completely captivating as a concept um i think it's it's the performances for me that stand out above the other stuff um which isn't to say it's not great it's just i i center more on the performances and that chemistry between the two of them which is extraordinary um over the the actual concept and the mystery and the kind of grizzled you know done wrong detective playing by his own rules um but yeah if if there's more holiday granger in this moving forward i'm i'm for it 100%. 100%. It's like you say, they're a great duo. Like Tom Burt, who was fantastic in The Souvenir, is really, really good in this. Holiday Granger, who last year we saw in The Capture, which will be coming back to our screen. She was outstanding in that too. So, But uh, yeah, I have a soft spot strike. I absolutely love it. And it makes me sad that Rowling can't write these books fast enough that this is the last one. There isn't another one for the time being. Uh, as, as often is the case with these kind of TV thrillers based on novels. Like You end up with this sort of flurry of, of, of episodes adapting the ones that are already published, and then you have to wait as they eke them out once every few years. So uh, let's let's hope that she writes and the next she one. Won't, she won't let they won't let them do their own new mysteries. No, no, they're going to let wait. them go off, and it's going to yeah. suddenly become a procedural, a weekly procedural. Yeah. Right, Strike and <laughs> yeah. Robin solve the next mystery. No, yeah. I think we'll have to wait for the next novel for that one. But in the meantime, Strike Lethal White begins on BBC One on Sunday, August the thirtieth at nine pm. Next up this week, we have I Hate Susie, in which Billy Piper plays child star turned B-list celebrity Susie Pickles, whose resurgent career is derailed when indecent pictures of her are hacked from her phone and spread all over the internet. Beth, did you hate Susie? No. No, not in the slightest. And I think I'm I'm the only one that didn't, based (laughs) on that show. Um, Everyone was really out to get her in this. I think this is some of the most stressful television I've watched (laughs) in some time. Perhaps more so as a woman. I'd be really interested to hear what Terry thought of this because the first episode, just to give it a little lay of the land, so the news drops that the the photos have leaked. It's um, Susie's in a compromising position with somebody, um, which is a a crime. You know, she's a victim of a crime. So that that drops uh, at the start of the episode. And then immediately afterwards, a photo shoot takes place in her home which is out in the countryside and this entourage of people from Esquire come in like take over her entire place of solace Mm. um and she has to kind of put on this war paint and this big fur coat and kind of grimace almost as they kind of put these dogs around her and take over and move things around and spill things and do all these things and then amidst that obviously they start to pick up on the news as well and are more concerned about the ethical implications of wearing the fur coat on camera than they are about her 
state of well-being. So yeah. this is all going on around around the place. It's so stressful. It's so stressful, but it's so it's stressful, but it's it feels almost familiar in a way, even if even though it's these big gargantuan circumstances, to have a woman kind of go through this and nobody is on her side in this situation whatsoever. She's completely on her own. But it's also really fucking funny as well. There's a bit which I, I feel like I shouldn't mention, but there is a toilet sequence. Yeah, there is, which, yes. uh, <laughs> which is um the f- the first time I've really laughed that hard out loud in quite a while. <laughs> but it's incredible. And just you know that it's um co-written by Lucy Preble, who writes on succession. So you can get an idea of the the sheer velocity of back and forth and swearing and bits and pieces and everyone's really hardened and a little bit cruel and and she's just trying her best to kind of get through it all and oh god, it was exhausting, but like exhilarating. I loved it. Yeah, it's just the second in our uh, series of Bell End Husbands shows. Oh my but, god. Uh, yeah. The yeah. worst. <laughs> Yes, again, the worst. <laughs> but again, I think it works well in this because that you know the the whole premise of this is the the compromising pictures come out and shall we say the lineage of the male member on display. There's some question about that. So uh, I think to try and keep the sympathy with her, they did absolutely make her husband the worst human being alive. And even before all of this happens, he's an unsupported bellend. So uh, that that's that's quite fun. But boy, what do you what do you think of the series as a whole? I, um, not just a member. Not just a member. Um, <laughs> first of all, we should say that it, it's it's good that um, Terry isn't here because she would have had to recuse herself because this is made by Bad Wolf Productions who are making <laughs> the making her um, show. Yeah. TV drama Ooh. of her book. So oh. yeah, she she couldn't pronounce on it. Um, I this I, I mentioned that because I think Bad Wolf. One of the things they do brilliantly. I, I don't I don't think they've ever done produced anything uh, not of a high quality, but they really go for it you know, with their stuff. And I think this, what they've done with this, you know, with um, the production, with the writing, as you say, Lucy Preble, um, they co- she co-created it with Billy Piper. So they they worked together on Secret Diver of Cool Girl, which was an incredibly daring, bold series, which was on ITV2, let's not forget, you know, the home of The Only Way is Essex, blah, 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 etc. Um, and Keith Lemon, you know, for that, I don't know how that show ever ended up happening, but it did, and it was really bold and daring series. What I loved about this is it's, and I slightly dreaded it because it is set in my world. It's set in the world of Heat Magazine, really, where this character, you very closely following the trajectory of Billy's career, she started out as a pop star. She becomes an actor. Um, then she becomes a kind of celebrity who's in the pages of magazines like Heat and in the tabloids, etc. And it's it's set in that world. And, and nine times out of ten, when you watch a depiction of the world that I work in, you know, I've been to shoots with dozens of people there. And where with and we've talked about what what outfit they should be wearing and you know they that the, the the talent is you know being looked after by dozens of people and it's ridiculous. I've been in that situation and nine times out of ten it's incredibly unconvincing and you're like cringing at the at the inauthenticity of it. But I thought they did an incredible mm. job in this that opening scene as you described, Beth, with this photo shoot, this Esquire photo shoot was so authentic and brilliantly done. I I was like, and this is one of the best depictions of the world of celebrity and celebrity photo shoots and all the different people the photographer his assistants the stylists the her manager arriving 
um, in the middle of it, what she's dealing with, the husband there dealing with it. It was so brilliantly done. I was like, right, this is this is properly great stuff. And then in episode two, they have the Comic Con episode, and again, <laughs> yeah. you know, I've done stuff at Comic Con, and I was like, even that, that they, they must have filmed it at Comic Con. They literally did, and that's brilliantly done as well. Um, so it's like just on that level, they've got that so right. And I think it's a really hard thing to pull off the, the, these worlds that people are aware of. You know, you're kind of aware of the machinations of these things. And in episode two, she ends up with um, Dexter Fletcher, a character played by Dexter Fletcher, who um, <laughs> called Ben Detroit, who's an even bigger bellend than her husband, <laughs> who is extraordinary. And again, I've met that guy, this character. I'm like, oh, I've met him so many times. And it, I was like, oh, this is so brilliantly done. Because again, his character could, you know, it could be um, one dimensional. And, it's, you know, he hasn't, I haven't seen him. Of course, Dexter Fletcher started as an actor, but as now a brilliant director of Rocketman, etc. But he's so good. He's so brilliantly mm. cast in that role as this sleazebag um, star, kind of older guy. All of those things about it, I think, is just so well done. I was bowled over by how brilliantly done it was. And then, and at the core of it, you've got this really interesting story of her and her her being, um, you know, her her life, her private life being exposed to the world, which of course again does happen and has happened to many many people, many women particularly in the business, and how excruciating that is to deal with. It's got this structure where it's going to each episode is like a, 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 a one of the steps of recovery um, and I was again I was worried about that I was like will that be too schematic and too you know but actually it's fine you just kind of it's just telling the story so it's a really intriguing story brilliantly done I can't wait to watch the rest of it and again it's got this thing I was I was, thinking, I was you know every week I think would uh, what's making me want to carry on watching this show and often like with we talked about with the Umbrella Academy. I still haven't gone back, to be honest, and watched any more episodes of that show. This huge, big, lavish production, you know, for Netflix. Mm. And yet this, I'm desperate to see what happens because it, th this has got brilliant narrative drive, like Succession. You mentioned that Lucy Prebber works on that. And yet, you know, it's quite, it's in quite, it, and yet it's kind of dealing with um, very real, believable stuff, but it's really, really, really exciting and thrilling as well. Yeah. I think I, think I made clear I like it. <laughs> done anything before georgie banks davis i tried to look her up and i don't think she's really done anything before oh, I, don't, I don't know which is no, astonishing considering how much yeah. is achieved in that first episode so hats off yeah. to her definitely yeah i agree with you 100 i absolutely love this i thought she played the blind panic of that situation extraordinarily um yeah and I think exactly as Beth said, it's so stressful that first episode. In the same way that Uncut Gems, there's a scene in Un Uncut Gems, which is an anxiety attack of a movie. Uh, there's a particular one in that where everything's going on and people getting stuck on the door and all these different moving parts and just like, you're just waiting for some kind of meltdown. And this episode was like that. There are so many things going on and she's in this weird, almost dream state, just watching everything happen in slow motion. And she's trying to be really polite and she doesn't want to make a fuss. And, all this, and meanwhile, her whole life is falling apart around her. Her husband, the bellend, is being a bellend. <laughs> And, and it's uh, there's, uh, yeah, it's it's an incredible piece of staging and direction. The way they make that photo shoot feel so authentic, and I think I think she plays it really, really well. And I think also, you know, it shows you the human side of this. Like these sort of like oh, naked pictures on the internet happens quite a lot. People find it kind of funny, and I think it does a really good job of humanizing, you know, the mm. violation and the horror and the, the human impact of something like that. How it can wreck someone's life. And just how how much of a violation it is, and I think again that it it, it walks that line very well, and she plays that very well. Um, I thought the unexpected musical number in the first episode kind of took me by surprise. 
Yeah. <laughs> and the the coke scene in the second episode is pretty unforgettable. Yeah. Um, but Which, yes, by the way, it's that coke scene is based on, of course, folklore <laughs> involving various that actresses over the years. I've heard so many stories. Oh, this oh, you has been on pop about, bench, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So that was. It uses. It taps into those things. I'm so. I, I didn't even mention the acting. Yeah, I mean, she is fucking brilliant. Yeah. Um, I loved her. Her best friend manager, Naomi, played by Leila Farzad. I thought yeah. that relationship was so brilliantly done as well. She is fantastic. The son, um, Matthew Jordan Cause, adorable, like adorable figure in the middle of it all, you know, who 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 um who is deaf. And I thought that was just a monster because that he 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 ends up being a, a really interesting part of the story as well. Yeah. Very, very good show. Very good show. I hate Susie. And that drops on Sky Atlantic beginning at Thursday, August twenty seventh at nine PM. Finally this week, we are getting a leg up on Amazon's The Boys, which doesn't actually air until next week, but it is awesome and has a surprisingly generous embargo. So we thought we'd get the drop on it and uh, <laughs> and put it in this week's show instead. Um, one of the best, I would say, of Amazon's original shows, this is based on Garth Ennis and Derek Robertson's comic book of the same name, and it's these sort of venal, corrupt superheroes behaving deplorably while their corporate sponsors keep their public image squeaky clean. It is, of course, up to Carl Urban and Jack Quay to sort this out, predominantly with judicious use of sea bombs. Uh, season two picks up from the bombshell cliffhanger at the end of season one, and who better to tell us about the boys than the Boyd? Thank you. <laughs> um, well, I have to admit, I know this is one of your favourites, and um, Tom, uh, our guest Tom, and let's loved it as well. Talking about one of his favourite things, it wasn't. I I didn't love it as much as you you did. I really enjoyed the first series. Um, it's brilliantly made. Um, you know spectacular production values incredible etc I, I did have a little bit of my umbrella academy issues with it of, of you know there's a slight self-satisfied smugness to it i think um and again it does that thing that um umbrella academy does whereby they have these montages to music to, to classic songs and i find so in this one you've got the rolling stones mm. in the first few minutes in opening montage not a great not a particularly original choice you know i was like and there's a reason why Quentin Tarantino, for example, in his films, it's so hailed as used to music because he finds unusual, unexpected songs to do his spectacular visual montages to. And I feel like something with these things, it's like, no, don't choose the Rolling Stones the song that we want to find something else. So that's I'm, I'm nitpicking, right? I, I'm nitpicking, but I think the fact that I am nitpicking is slight insight into my fact that I really enjoy. I really enjoyed this first episode of the second series. I think um, I, I my favorite element of the whole thing is the satire on the superhero cult. And how, um, and I love the fact there's this corporation that is managing their lives and how that is played out and how you see them, you know, kind of being shot on Instagram and all of that. There's a scene late in the episode where the whole thing, you're watching it play out on Instagram live or whatever it is. And I thought, and I think all of that stuff is clever. It makes it feel incredibly of the moment and now. And I think what it's saying about celebrity culture, about people obsessing with superheroes is funny and interesting. But I still feel like from scene to scene, I don't find it that amazingly well written or incredibly inventive and different. So I, I, I'm being slightly overly critical of it, but I, I, my honest reaction to it is I really, really, I, I really enjoy it. But it's just still not like number one on my watch list. I'm still not going to be like, like I hate Susie. I'm desperate to watch. I'm not desperate to watch the rest of this series. I, I like it. I really like it. But. There's something, there's something I can't put my finger on missing in it. And I think the narrative drive for me isn't quite there. I don't, I hasn't got enough mystery. And, you know, I, I'm like, it's, it's playing out. The storyline's playing out. And, you know, are, there's, the, there's the team of people who are, who are challenging the superheroes and all of that. And this, but 
what is it? This, I, don't, I don't think there's anything intrinsically fascinating about that central central idea. So that yeah, I have I have, I have issues with it. I have to say, but you know, it's very well done. Beth. <laughs> James giving absolutely nothing away here. I'm a little bit scared looking at you right now. So um, I haven't watched the first season, I will say. Um, I went down the Watchmen. I just, I can't watch too many superhero shows. I'm sorry. I know this isn't the podcast to admit that, but I decided <laughs> to can. give my time. <laughs> all right, then, well, the, yeah. Mm. And uh, so I went down the Watchmen route. If I was like, all right, here's a superhero film, like show about male fragility. Here's one about race issues. I'm going to go down that one. Um, so I watched that one, caught up with it briefly before coming into this. It's really good fun. It is good fun, I will say. There is a lot of blood and gore, a lot of shock blood and gore in this, which I wasn't quite expecting. There is something interesting about the branding of superheroes that I don't think has been touched on before. I didn't hate it, I think is what I'm saying. <laughs> Thank yeah, you, Beth. That's a poster quote waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah. Didn't hate it. Beth Webb, Pilot TV. <laughs> It was fun. I struggled to find a standout performance of the ensemble. Um, I will say that Carl Urban is largely absent in this episode. I think mm. I can say that. So he is largely, uh, and I anticipate if he'd come into it sooner, I might have enjoyed it a little bit more. And it's his nice. English accent is terrible, though. I mean, oh, it's not great. Fucking it's not hell. great. It's nice to see <laughs> Chase Crawford working again, I guess. He's having a nice time. Um, Are you just outing yourself there as a, as a Gossip Girl fan? I, I was I was of the time. I'm not quite, you know, I'm not quite as taunted as I am with something like Buffy. But again, it's just one of these where I wasn't as sold on the concept. And given that the whole basis of the show is its concept, I think that's a little bit of a problem for me. But it was rip-roaring good fun. Anything where like there's blood spurting out of ear holes and heads exploding and, you know, just lashings of blood, I think is always, you know, that's good fun for me. It's really unpleasant. Some of those... Um, Super unpleasant, gory, yeah. The, the, all I'm going to say is the limb, let's just call it the limb yeah. scene. Yeah. It, that was horrendously awful and unpleasant. I mean, I, I mean I'm fully in favour of it. I thought it was very interesting and bold and daring. Yeah, I mean... It's it very ruthless and cruel, but I think in this age, especially with something like Watchmen, there needs to be a little bit more to oh. frame to frame oh. it than just relentless Beth, ruthlessness. Fuck, Watchmen is a fucking masterpiece. <laughs> this, is like, this is no Watchmen. Let's make that absolutely clear. Well, this yeah. is exactly it. I think Watchmen is... It, the bottom line is I think Watchmen has done the show no favours. Yeah, I agree. You're right. This is no Watchmen. I don't think it's trying to be a Watchman. And I think what it does, it does extremely well. I mean, so I should get out of the way now. You're both wrong. So let's just move on from that. Uh, the Boys is phenomenal. There are many great, you know, superhero TV shows. I'm not going to compare this to Watchmen, but certainly as for what's on now, The Boys is it. Uh, Umbrella Academy has a stylistic charm to it, but it's not in the same league as this. It's nowhere near as compelling as this is. Um, I really enjoyed season one of this. I enjoyed the arc of it. I loved the fact that it is raw that it is shocking that it is edgy but i like even more the fact that um eric kripke and seth rogan thought that the, the the comic it's based on is shocking to the max like it's extreme shock value and i think what they've done is they, they've they've maintained the core of that but they've dialed it down so it doesn't become overwhelming and doesn't become unnecessary or too shall i say too gratuitous uh, but that there is a lot of shock value in this it's a particularly shocking scene with a potential new recruit on this which really floored me i didn't think they were going to go in that particular direction at all so i've seen the first three which are the three that they made available to me and i can't get enough i must have more of this you know i like that giancarlo esposito is now in this as sort of mr edgar and that he's got a more central role in this uh aya cash who i love in in you're the worst
first. She's in this as a new hero called Stormfront, who's joined the Seven. Um, and it, you know, yes, this is meta, and it is in some ways a little bit arch and a little bit smug, and that may be why I like it. But uh, you know, I, I like the fact that they push the kind of the 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 gore and the sex to the front and the swearing, the amount of sea bombs thank, coming out of Carl Urban's mouth is quite extraordinary. You know, there's there's a lot going on here and I think they run with it very well. And I think, you know, looking at the sort of satirical side of this, you know, looking at the, you know, the corporate front, the superheroes as a business, as an industry and the complete inversion of, of accepted superhero mythology, like the seven in this is absolutely you know nailed on the justice league under another name but played in a very different way you know it takes the idea that they tried to work out in brightburn you know what would happen if superman was evil and i think anthony Starr from banshee plays homelander so brilliantly he's so malevolent and you know he's a murderer he's a rapist he's all these things but he's also got god level powers and there's something incredibly upsetting and sinister about that as a concept and i think they make they make a lot out of that but they also have fun with it like there's literally a character called black noir and i find that endlessly entertaining <laughs> you know and they have that like they're making movies this dawn of the seven movie like they're riffing on the dceu even to the you know the the, the the logo that they use for it there's a scene with a whale in episode three which you just gotta see to believe um yeah there's there's loads of fun here i love that one of the characters who's been outed as a kind of a you know superhero me too sex pest is kind of in rehab and joins the kind of joins a scientologist by another name you know like he joins this cult it has a lot of fun with its concept i think it executes it very well i think visually it's got a brilliant palette i like the character interactions i enjoy the, i think the character of, of butcher uh carl evans character feels a little bit uh caricatured in this season i think it was more to him in season one but i think that's because the, his arc is really just getting going as you said beth he doesn't really turn up to the end of the first episode yeah. uh, and you know characters like laz alonzo's character mother's milk who you know we talk about dialing down the uh uh the aspect from the comic he literally is a superhero who gets his powers from breastfeeding so you know that like I said, they've taken some of the more out there aspects and let them go for this. But I think the boys is completely excellent. And more importantly, Lucifer agrees with me. Therefore, I win. It's brilliant. <laughs> Show of the week. <laughs> now, it's worth noting. So the boys drops on Amazon here in the UK on Friday, September the 4th. But it is not all dropping in one go. They've taken a rather fiendish approach to this one. And I think, is it, how many did they drop in the first instance, boys? Is it three? three? They three, drop the first yeah. three. And then it's going weekly after that to make it more of an ongoing yeah. event series, which is yeah. deeply it's frustrating. The, it's the Apple TV method. They, they yeah. tend to do this. Yeah. They put three out and then make it weekly can i ask you a genuine question yes. about the boys of i'm not trying to be difficult i'm surprised though i don't I, it feels like almost like a hangout show like narratively so there's all these characters but what what's the thing that's driving you on week by week to have to get to what is the miss what's the thing i don't get what the story is the central story that i'm supposed to be paying attention yeah, to I, see you know I, mean? I think that's partly just the nature of the ramp up for the beginning of season two like i think season one had more propulsion to it and season two i think begins with them on the lamb so by its very nature it's them sort of sitting around trying not to get caught so yeah you're right it has a hangout vibe to it but i think that that probably won't last much beyond the first three episodes because the first three episodes are like a little self-contained story in and of themselves and i think it probably mm escalates after that because a lot happens by the end of the third episode so okay. uh, but uh, yeah okay. i mean I, obviously i enjoy this far more than i seem to recall terry enjoyed season one when we reviewed it yeah i think we uh, i think we both liked the first i, I bet she didn't carry on watching it though no I mean, almost I certainly I, I, not we're, almost we're, certainly not <laughs> just say but she liked she liked what she saw and i'll you know i'm gonna cling yeah. to that the boys then amazon friday september the 4th and that 
is it for this very special 100th episode of the Pilot TV podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, then please do feel free to leave us a favourable review on Apple Podcasts. And if this is your first time listening to the show and you appreciate having a guide to steer you through the impenetrable mass of new TV shows that drop every week, then do please subscribe to the show as well. You can get in touch with us individually on Twitter and Instagram at James C. Dyer, at Boyd Hilton and at Beth K. Webb, not to mention our esteemed guest co-host, Mr. Tom Ellis, who can be found at Tom Ellis 17 We'll be back next week with more shows for you to feast your eyes on, including Netflix's Young Wallander and quite possibly Hilary Swank's new spacefaring Martian drama Away as well, among other things. Until then, though, pilot out. <laughs>